Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC 294, Makachev versus Volkanovski 2. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, brother. How are you doing, man? This is, this is a big one. I'm excited. I always get excited. The bigger the fights, the more excited I get. I'm, ex- I'm really excited. Oh, we got we got a big card to talk about. Uh, before we even get to that today, I went to the Texas Renaissance Festival, which is open. Okay. It's in this little town kind of north of Houston where people from like even Dallas and stuff could get there in a couple hours. And it runs for probably two months every year in the fall. And it's it's a Renaissance Fest. I had never been to a Renaissance Fest in my life. Went to the, the Texas Renaissance Festival today. Gorgeous weather. It was like 70 degrees out and just breezy. However... My understanding of Renaissance was sorely tested today. I, I'm not a historian. (laughs) I'm just a college dropout that's read a few books, but I understand the Renaissance as referring to a period of European history, you know, kind of the (laughs) 14th to end of the 16th century that was marked by an explosion in arts, literature, technology, science, but all humans, they were all human, you know, Germans, English, French, Italians, all humans. I, I go to this thing, a solid 25% of the people there were elves. Uh, there were a couple of wizards. I, I don't think wizards are real. I saw at least two or three people that I'm pretty sure were vampires. I I may have just wandered into an outdoor cosplay convention. There was a lot of non-Renaissance shit going on here. <laughs> Paul Acosta was there. Paulo Paulo Costa was there uh, eating the fried Twinkie and preparing to blow weight for whenever his next fight ends up being. It was something. It was an eye-opening experience. I'm sad I waited this many years to go to a a Renaissance Fest. If I'd known they were this much fun, I would have done it more times. That's all I got on that. Uh, Give give me your uh, overall temperature on this card. The UFC does 11, 12 pay-per-views a year this one is in abu dhabi give it a letter grade on paper yeah so uh for anyone who's ever wondered if we pre-planned what we're going to talk about we start obviously this is uh exhibit a of that it's not true because i'm like where the hell is he going with this i thought you were going to go into like uh you know the mass you know i know art and everything was was really major during the renaissance and the you know the painting of the ceilings and all this stuff uh i think gonna say you know the masters makashev and volkanovsky that uh, you know 600 years from now we'll, we'll still be talking about these these greats i should have done any or all of those things but it really wasn't a segue into talking <laughs> just, about the card at all just, just what was on my, on my mind um how the card the, i thought the card it was uh, is is good already um, but now it is an absolute A. I mean, there's no way. I just want, I mean, if you told me two weeks ago, without giving me a, you know, a, a, an answer, uh, who was replacing just uh, Paulo Costa has fallen off the card, I'd be like, oh my God, this card has gone to shit. And then you add in, oh yeah, Charles Oliveira just fell out. I'd be like, oh my God, this card's an F. To get Kamaru Usman and Alex Volkanovsky two of the greatest fighters who's ever lived mm-hmm. to step up, take huge gambles on less than a, it was like a week and a half, you know, when, when it was announced, but like, yeah. I think it was announced that Tuesday. Uh, yeah. What is that? That's 
like 11 days 10 days 11 days like dude 18 months ago they they were the top like volkanovsky and usman were the top two pound for pound fighters in the sport i still think they are like i mean usman's taken a loss or two but oh, oh i'm sorry usman, i'm sorry usman. i'm sorry like, like i think yeah. i think of volkanovsky yeah, yeah 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 no yeah 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 18 24 months yeah, ago they were the top two pound for pound fighters in the sport usman clearly you know needs to bounce back there's open questions but I, I never asked you this, but if you'd asked me, I would have said, dude, I'd love to see him go to middleweight and see what he can do with whatever time is left to him. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And now he's going to. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think about this, like if you went to a, a concert and you were like showing up to a concert and say it was like a huge one, like, oh man, you got these two big headliners. It's like, Aerosmith and we'll say so Aerosmith will be like your Charles Oliveira and I don't know it's kind of hard to come up with something for Paul Costa but like one of those ones that like hipsters really like uh, I don't know Radiohead or somebody like that you, you're better with the with the rock analysis than I am so you're like that and they're like yeah guys sorry uh, both Aerosmith and Radiohead can't be here so um, we're not going to cancel the show uh, ladies and gentlemen, open up is going to be ACDC followed by the freaking Rolling Stones. Like, are you kidding me? Like, how does this happen? <laughs> like, listen, talk, like, say all the shit you want about the UFC and, and they have their own problems and, and, and there's a lot to it. And I, I got to fix my hat. I get too excited. I mix my hat up. And my, my oldest daughter makes fun of me. He said, Dad, why do you wear a hat like that? And you put it, do it on a podcast? Oh, my God. Anyways. For everything, to put these fights together, this show to notice, everyone keeps talking about it. I, I'm sure you've seen the memes of, of Alex Volkanovsky walking around with the wheelbarrow with these gigantic testicles. Mm-hmm. That's all four of these fighters. Yeah. Because Makashev still just gave himself a tougher matchup. A guy that he's had his toughest fight to date, you know, other than the one time he got knocked up. But yeah. A recent memory. Taking on him, Shemayev goes against Costa, who I think most people were picking him to win, and Costa looked terrible against Luke Rockhold and all this shit that goes on with Costa. It didn't seem like a big threat to Shemayev. To now Kamaru Usman, who, by the way, you mentioned this a year and a half ago or a year ago, whatever, whatever it was, that fight isn't taking second bill on this card. No. It's, it's the top bill. Yeah. The the guts on these guys. I mean, think about this for a second. Alex Volkanovsky, you're stepping up on a week and a half notice without a full camp. And then now he can say he was training for this moment. Yeah, fine. It, it's not the same. It's not the same without it's, knowing, you know, when you're when you're in the gym and and that coach is yelling you, come on, another hard 30 seconds to be a tight. Are you really going that hard if you don't have a are you going as hard as you possibly no, no. Alex Volkanovsky probably does because that's why he's Alex Volkanovsky. But I know I know I'm rambling here for a second, but I just I just I just love these four guys for to, to doing oh. this. And Volkanovski to, to go into you know upper weight class against the best guy in the world, a guy you just lost to on, on a week and a half notice. Uh Kamaru Usman, you're on two losses. Your career is pretty much, you know, to be a top contender is at like this is it for you. And you're gonna go up a weight take on the boogeyman that nobody really is stepping up to fight unless you're Kevin freaking Holland. 
like these guys are not human. This is why they're all time greats. There, I completely agree, and it's it's even more admirable than that makes it sound because a lot of times when a fighter steps up on short notice to fight somebody that well, someone who's like Islam Makachev or Hamzat Shemaev, the fighter stepping up has nothing to lose. Uh, here, that is not the case. Uh, this isn't Nate Diaz yeah. getting off his boat. Especially and, Usman. Yeah. Well, no. Especially no, no, Volkanovski no, still has the backup no, plan. No, no, but he, here, here's my thing. Volkanovski, too, because it's not like nate diaz getting off his boat to fight conor mcgregor on short notice where he literally has nothing to lose if he gets wasted that's all anybody expected if he does better than expected great if he beats mcgregor he's a superstar for life and we know which thing happened here volkanovsky has something to lose because the last time he and makachev took fought he took makachev down to the wire you thought uh, Islam won. I thought Islam won, but about a quarter of the people on MMA a decisions yeah. thought Volkanovski won, and everybody thought it was a great fight. Everybody uh, yep. thought it was the toughest fight anyone's given Makachev, aside from that kind of weird, quick knockout. If Volkanovski goes out this time and just gets washed, then it's like, well, the first one was was a fluke. Once Makachev got it dialed in, we clearly knew who was the better fighter. Like he has almost as much to lose here as Makachev. Yeah, and and and, and Makachev obviously has the title to lose, but the other thing that he has is he'll he'll have the other argument. So yeah, he won the first fight, and everyone like think about this: how many people people still call Alex Volkanovski the pound for pound best fighter in the world, and he lost to Makachev. Like people still said, yeah, you won, but it was super close. Like if the weights were you were so much bigger, but the weights were equal. So like I would say the majority of people still thinks Volkanovski is the best pound for pound fight in the world. So. And I'm, and I'm okay. I, I do. So, uh, but I'm okay with that. Like, if you if you want to go Makachev, that's fine. But now, if he wins easily, it's going to be well. Yeah, like the other argument people have. Yeah, well, you beat a guy on you know just came off from a surgery, coming in a, a week and a half in upper weight class. You were training, he wasn't. Like, he's not going to get the, his full credit. Right. So he has a lot. Like, he doesn't really gain anything. He's still the ch- like he wins. He's still the champ. He does. Yeah, he beats Volkanovski again. I guess you don't have to do a trilogy or anything like that if you win. But it's just what he says. When I, he, I I'm, I'm going to mess up the quote that, but that like when opportunities like this come, you don't say no. Because he's a freaking G. Yep. I like, like all four of these guys. And, and think about this for a second. Shemayev. Shemayev was the guy, the last time we saw him fight was that Nate Diaz debacle that ended up being Kevin Holland. He got so much hate. And I think he'll get that with Usman if he wins. Oh, you beat the guy who's on a two-fight losing streak and he's up away and this and that. But my respect for him, because my respect for him has gone up. Not because he, not only did he, the the debacle with Diaz, Diaz happened, but it was like no remorse. Not like, guys, I'm sorry, I fucked up, I did this. It was like, complete opposite like almost like joy oh joy he, he like cut this bizarre promo after yeah. the win that yeah like but that's not the narrative this week now it isn't it's the the so fight that right. is in front of us right now has sort of it's killed all the noise all of a sudden yeah. we're gonna get up there and there's gonna be a little setting of the table but mostly we've just got a couple of hellacious fights to talk about and you know who's the biggest loser in all this? Charles Oliveira. And I'll tell you why. If Volkanovski wins, we're getting a trilogy fight. We are. Oliveira's waiting even longer. 
Oliver is waiting even longer. And he's older. He doesn't. Have, he doesn't. Have, you know, he, I mean, I know he's not as old as you think he is, <laughs> but, but he's, he's got he's hell of miles off him. Yeah, that's what and I'm saying. He's always been a little injury prone slash bad weight cut prone. Yeah, get, getting Charles Oliveira to the cage is a production. So missing six to nine months of what should still be close to his physical prime is going to hurt. Like, we'll probably see Oliveira take some kind of other fight in between would be my guess. Yeah, the only thing I'll say before we will go, you know, before we break down this fight, the one thing that I feel is missing, and obviously this is the biased American in me, I wish this was in America. I wish it was at nighttime. And you know what I mean? I like the early cards. I like, um, mm-hmm. you know, if I can go to bed earlier. like Yeah. But it going overseas won't have the same feel, at least in America. You know, the, cr- the crowd isn't as rowdy. The cr- if you're in New York City, you're in Vegas, where, I mean, I mean those are probably your two, two spots. And this fight is headlining it. I mean, having their faces on, you know, ticker in Times Square or something like that. Yeah. That's the only thing this thing is missing. Yeah. Like having Makachev and Volkanovsky just on 40 foot tall broadsides on yeah. some of the buildings around Times Square. I agree. But we have to remember what Fight Island was about in the first place. The UFC started working with Yaz Island, with Etihad Arena because when COVID hit back in 2020, there were so many, not just fighters, but of the best fighters in the UFC and the best prospects who were on their way to the UFC that all of a sudden couldn't travel. And this was sort of a way for uh, those fighters and fighters you know, from Brazil who couldn't get out of Brazil to the US to get fights. And it's still serving that purpose in a way, only now it's just the Russia-Ukraine conflict and so forth that's causing it. Because you look at this card, there's 13 fights. 10 of the 13 have at least one fighter from Russia, the CIS, or the Middle East. And we don't know in how many of those cases it's because it's easier for them to get a visa as opposed to just, well, they fought in UAE Warriors and and Brave CF anyway. They they have a fan base here. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of... Yeah, you know that better than I do. This still feels like a 2021... uh, fight island card yeah uh, but it's freaking good okay <laughs> south of the top two fights uh that we just spent <laughs> 10 minutes talking about name me one other fight on this card you're most excited for or if you can't name a fight one fighter you're most excited oh, for this is, there's a lot of good ones but um elliot versus muhammad makayev is a, is a really fun scrap you stole mine so uh i'm gonna yeah. just go with the real obvious one and say that the debut of Shara Bullet is, I mean, the hype <laughs> yeah, is either going to be real. Yeah, we'll get to him. Or it's going to be, well, that didn't turn out well, or it's going to be somewhere in between. But uh, it's going to be one of the most watched curtain jerkers in a UFC. It's the first fight, yeah. Huh? That's in, crazy. In a long time. Yeah. Uh, any other general thoughts on this card that we're both clearly giving an A plus? Yeah. With this, card of this... the year potential all over it. Yeah. Any other general uh, thoughts before we dive in? Yeah. If I mean, yeah. No. I. I don't think I. I, I just reiterate how much I, I respect, like the, to. Yeah. This feels to me. Watching these two guys fight. Well, you know, I get to it later. Right. Yeah. I, we got a lot to talk about. We'll get to it when we get to it. 
First fight out of the gate at UFC 294 is a middleweight matchup between the debuting Shara Magomedov and Bruno Silva. Magomedov, the 29-year-old Dagestani, is 11-0 as a professional mixed martial artist. This will be his UFC debut. As I mentioned, he has fought primarily all over, again, kind of the CIS, what we would once have called former Soviet republics. He fought twice in December, like eight days apart, uh, getting his best win, a unanimous decision win over Mikhail Ragazin, and then showed up in Thailand like eight days later and blew someone away in like eight seconds. Uh, he makes his long-awaited UFC debut here. He's been kind of an insider tip as the next Hamzat, the next Shavkat type guy. And uh, he draws Silva. Uh, 34-year-old Brazilian is 23-9 and nine overall. He is 4-3 and three since joining the UFC as a former M1 global middleweight champ. He's coming in off of a loss. He got choked out late in the first round by Brandon Allen at the Emmett versus Tapuria fight night card back in June. Prior to that, he had a first round knockout of Brad Tavares uh, back in April. Odds on this one? Find Magomedov a comfortable favorite in his UFC debut, but that should not be surprising because a piece of trivia that I forgot to toss to you during the intro, Keith, there are 13 fights on this card. 11 of the 13 have at least a two to one favorite. This is one of them. Magomedov around minus 225, Silva around plus 175. 11 out of 13 have two to one favorites. Or more. There are some that are four to one wow. or, or higher. But yeah, only two <laughs> on the entire card that are less than a two to one favorite. Yeah, a lot of my notes are, this is a tough fight to pick. <laughs> Apparently well, not. Well, we'll get to some of them because I think a couple of the lines are way off. This is not one of them. Uh, I'll come right out and say that I do not think Shara Magomedov is, I think he is has a ton of upside. I think he's a very good, very athletic, skilled, exciting fighter who definitely belongs in the UFC. But I'm definitely not ready to call him the next Hamzat Chemaev. I understand a lot of the reason why. They are both they're they're both in the same weight division. Depending on what they're doing, they're either a huge welterweight or a decent sized middleweight. They both have the same kind of build, like kind of tall, long armed for uh, the division but with tons of muscle on their frame. They're both very athletic. They both just blew through everybody on their way up. They both have a, I mean, they even both have kind of a, a visual hook. Hamza Shamayev has like the, the hair lip repair that everybody sees that scar right across his lip. Shara Magomedov has one working eye. It's, yeah, it's, hard, it's hard to miss. Like yeah. beginning stage Shara Magomedov looks like end stage Mike Bisbee. It's like, it's, it's, <laughs> he should, he should wear a patch. That would be. He should gnarly. walk around with a patch and just be like a like a villain from the eighties. Dude, he's already a ginger Russian, like with well, an eye patch. Very like, offended by that. Hey, <laughs> you, you and he got the same tan. You might be distantly related. I got, I got both my eyes now. <laughs> you do. Uh, <clears throat> in terms of uh, striking, he's primarily orthodox kickboxer, blisteringly fast hands and really really fast kicks, tons of power and everything. He has sturdy enough takedown defense, at least against the overwhelmed kind of guys he's been fighting. Uh, 
good takedowns of his own, which he tends to use only as an occasional change of pace or last resort. He would much rather knock people out on the feet. Rather than call him the next Hamzat Shemaev, it's almost more tempting for me to call him more like a middleweight Zabit. Uh, just long, rangy, surprisingly fast guy with surprisingly good power. Uh, he doesn't throw quite as much unorthodox stuff as Zabit, but he's certainly willing to. But he feels to me kind of like middleweight Zabit right now, where Zabit was always a much better wrestler than you thought he did. He was just because he was so reluctant to use it unless he had to. Uh, I'm excited to see where he goes in the UFC. Even at the middleweight division, I'm I'm tapping the brakes on calling him an instant future contender, but we'll learn a lot against Silva. Uh, I like Silva's collapse and decline within the last two years or so has been something to behold. He's one and three in his last four. The one win over Brad Tavares. I mean, Tavares himself seems to be in decline. That was a back and forth fight. Like Tavares hurt him bad that round too. And then on top of everything, Silva dropped him and the fight was stopped pretty early. So it, it's, I mean, I came out of that fight thinking, you know, if Silva and Tavares fight 10 times, we probably get in first round knockouts, eight out of the 10 but it's going to be almost evenly split between the two guys. So it, nothing about it told me that Silva is back. And here, so this is a bad matchup for, for Silva. Uh, Silva, I mean, we think of him as a huge middleweight, but when he came to the UFC, he was an incredibly built middleweight. But in terms of his actual stature, he's not a gigantic guy. Uh, you know, uh, well, Alex Pereira is bigger than everybody, but even... Mearshart and Allen were visibly taller, had longer reach than Silva. Silva's cartoonishly jacked build has kind of faded over the course of his second UFC contract, as has his gas tank, as has his speed. I mean, I, I've kind of said where there's smoke, there's fire, or well, now where there's a lack of smoke, maybe there's a lack of, of PED fire. But here, unless Magomedov fouls up, Silva's going to be there for him just Silva's preferred style is to be a Muay Thai influenced brawler. Magomedov is faster, bigger, hits harder, has a greater diversity of strikes. And where I thought Silva had sneaky good wrestling at one point, I don't know if it's sneaky good anymore. And even if so, Magomedov's takedown defense is too stout. This is a bad matchup for Silva. I think Magomedov just starts chewing him up right away on the feed, probably knocks him out in the first round. And the hype train is really, really going to pull out of the station. Yeah, the, you, you, you um, compare him to Zabit. He also has that like bushy hair that Zabit has too. The Abraham wow. Lincoln beard and like yeah. kind of frizzy hair. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen this guy, he's a scary looking dude with the like. He looks like he could be a villain. With, with he the, looks like with he the, looks like a like one of the the henchman from a diehard movie you just expect him in like a, a, a black turtleneck in the back just you I'm know there's going to be somewhere two-thirds of the way through where he beats bruce willis almost to death and gets pushed if down you put a patch on him he could be in like if you put a patch on him he could be in like a, a james bond movie or he could be in cobra he could be like there a gi joe <laughs> the russian the russian version <laughs> Uh, I'll start with Bruno Silva because, I mean, we know what we get with this guy, but, uh, you know, the dude's really inconsistent. I mean, he looks great one fight, terrible the next one. You know, what he does, he he, he can fight out of both stances. He loves to brawl. He fights like a wild man. I mean, he, he loves closing distance, throwing like a flying knee, 
uh, he he throws tons of big looping punches. He does have serious power. I mean, you see, you know how he knocked out Brad Tavares, which is always you know even though we we both kind of feel Brad Tavares might be on his way out, but that's still a good win. Um, but he doesn't have the best technique. I mean, he throws from his hips, uh, so he overextends on his shots, leaving him open to counter. Uh, he he gets tagged up and seemed like every fight. I mean, it, he. Darryl, rem- Tell, reminds me of kind of like one of the second string shooter box guys from the early guys. like like not not shogun or vanderlei but a cyborg like santos type guy ninja. Yeah, yeah ninja yeah. cyborg santos like the the guys that just swing wild and it, it was enough a lot of the time but the best yeah, the, of the best would tool them up yeah the yeah when well, they were they were facing a, a japanese fighter they, they were 30 pounds heavier than, yeah you know <laughs> all right oh punk minowa yeah. uh i mean joe <laughs> G- 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 mearshot was piecing him up Mm-hmm. I mean, even even like a fairly low level talent like Jordan Wright was landing shots on him. Uh, he he is strong in the clinch, but very poor defensive wrestler. I mean, Wellington Terman took him down. Andrew Sanchez took him down. Jared Mershaw took him down. I mean, Jared Mershaw, we we both is a much better wrestler than he gets credited for. Uh, he struggles to get up. He has a BJJ black belt, but he has zero submissions in his career. Now you move over to Magomedov. We kind of buried the lead on him a little bit because not only is he like this hyped up prospect, he's a very controversial prospect. Mm-hmm. I mean, this dude, well, one being blind in one eye, <laughs> making his UFC debut, obviously, uh, some people might have issues with that, but he's also a, a very hothead guy. I mean, I saw, I saw one video where he kicked a guy during a BJJ competition and the guy just submitted him like very cleanly. He just got up and kicked him. Uh, but the bigger one, was did you see the video when he got in a fight in the mall? Yeah, I... and, and so he, uh, you know, I know in in Russia and Dagestan, obviously it's a different culture. But there was a guy like kissing his girlfriend. He got mad that the guy was kissing his girlfriend in front of him, confronted him. the guy. In fairness, the guy did throw a punch at him first, but then he got on top of him. But that wasn't the issue. It wasn't like oh, okay, he scrapped it up and that was the end of it. Then when they get separated and it's all over with, he like hides somewhere, knowing the guy's coming out. And as soon as the guy goes out, he just sucker punches this dude out cold. And then, like, Vandalay Silva, like, Shogun Hua, foot stomps him on his head. Um, yeah, so, dude, just don't don't apologize. Just go, just, like, if someone asked you about him this week, just go straight villain. Like, say, like, well, that guy shouldn't have been a bitch then. You know, like, <laughs> you know, uh, he threw a punch at me. Of course I had to kill him. Like, we, we need that. We need that scary Russian guy uh i mean the dude dude's got some serious power uh he's a serious striker he's got some professional kickboxing experience he moves well very athletic he can pick apart from range very fast nice jab uh attacks with combinations hits hard i mean he's got 10 ko's i think seven in the first round incredible kicking game i mean mean calf kicks he loves like hook kicks uh body kicks i love i mean i'm absolutely in love with the step in knees uh he now he also throws knees defensively, which I love. Like when if if, if someone's looking to take him down, he'll try to time you coming in and throw a knee. Um, something that Edson Barbosa used to always do back back in the day, not as much. I haven't seen too much of his grappling, but he can wrestle a little bit. He's got pretty like you mentioned. He's got he's got like Merkel Crow Cop takedown defense, where it, it's not the best, but he knows enough to keep it on the feet. Uh, but even when he's taken down, what I've seen of him, he's got back to his feet. Uh, this is a really fun fight. Uh, I think Silva is the perfect stylistic matchup for Megamadoff. 
I can see Silva throwing these big, huge, looping punches, and he pays the price for him. I think he walks right into a big counter. I think Megan Madoff knocks him out in the very first round. All right. Two picks for Sharapudin Magomedov to make a thrilling and successful UFC debut. Next up on the UFC 294 prelims, Victoria Dudakova will attempt to extend her flawless UFC record against Jin Yu Fry. Dudakova, the 24-year-old Russian, is 7-0 as a professional. She is 1-0 since joining the UFC out of the sixth season of Dana White's Contender Series. She debuted back in July at the Holm versus Bueno Silva fight night card, where her fight with Estela Nunes lasted just 34 seconds. She tried to take down, Nunes posted her arm the wrong way, and doggone it, is there anything worse than a bad injury happening at the apex? I don't know, but we were subjected to what felt like two full minutes of Nunes just wailing in pain and kind of writhing around like an, a dog that had been hit by a car uh, in this empty... Anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm getting PTSD from, from that injury. Anyway, 34-second uh, TKO... She's going to look to go 2-0 and in the UFC against Fry. 38-year-old Dallas native is 11-9 overall. She is 2-5 since joining the UFC as a former Invicta Atomweight champ. She's on a three-fight losing streak. Uh, she's dropped fights to Vanessa Demopoulos, Poliana Viana, and Elise Reed. The most recent of those, the Reed fight was a unanimous decision at the Car France versus Albazi card back in June. Odds here? Unsurprisingly, heavily favor the Russian. She is minus 400, Fry plus 310 on the comeback. Keith, I'm going to flip this one to you, uh, but you and I, two years ago, back in 2021, both remarked how nice it was that Jinyu Fry did get a couple of UFC wins finally. Yeah. Something to something to put on the mantelpiece alongside all yeah. of her other accomplishments as one of the best women of her generation in a weight class that barely existed. Uh, here she's on a three fight losing streak. She's a whopping underdog to a fighter who, at least in my opinion, is a good, but not great prospect. But, uh, does Fry have what it takes to even make this interesting? I I shouldn't say interesting because even when she wins, it's not interesting. No, she's never interesting. (laughs) Does Fry have what it takes to make this close? She's interesting. (laughs) Like when, like, you're you're at the Renaissance Fair and 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 some nerd comes up to you and tells you about like some painting you're looking at and you go, interesting, interesting. <laughs> Thanks. I wonder how Ginny Fry is going to do tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see Ginny Fry at, at the Renaissance Fair. And nobody um, will mess with her. She'd be this like five foot one chick that's just ripped to the gills, got a huge sword across her back yeah, and some shit. Yeah, eight pack. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but Jinya Fry stops fighting. I just want her to be. I, I want to just like when I'm looking at a YouTube video and an ad comes on, it's Jinya Fry giving like dieting advice. Like, yeah, you know that? Sure. You ever see those videos where they like, I don't know, like, like, like real good looking dude who's like, oh, you shouldn't listen to any diet person ever. Like, you should eat pizza and, and I'll yeah. teach you how you're going to lose weight eating pizza. Oh, yeah. And not working out. Um, I just want Jinya Fry to do videos like that. For sure. And uh, all right, so what did you say the odds work? Due to Kova's minus 400, Fry yeah, plus 310. Nuts. That's nuts. <laughs> like, like, um, Jin, Jin Fry, I mean, there's some people, there's some people I love watching film on, some people that it's, 
I learn stuff when I watch them. Junior Fry is in that category where it's like, okay, when the card comes down, okay, I'm skipping Junior Fry. Like, like if if I get to Junior Fry, I'll get to her. But there's 26 fighters on the card. She's 26 on my list, and uh, I watch Alec Volkanovski three times. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, it, she's a southpaw. I mean, she's a technically sound boxer, but her output, it, you know, it was always historically low. And then she started. There's a little run where I was like, wow, Junior Fry's actually throwing punches. And then her last fight, she did it again. She just had no output. She's a counter striker. She does do well to pick up her opponent's rhythm and kind of beat them to the point of contact. But she's older now, so I don't know if that's still there. Um, even though she's an undersized former Adelaide, and she's, I mean, she's still built like an Adelaide, uh, she can grind in the clinch. Uh, she wears her opponents down there. Uh, she, she can wrestle. She'll drop down like a single leg and run the pipe. Uh, she can shoot some takedowns, some decent entries, but I do think her wrestling ability has been fading. I mean, she got all wrestled by Elise Reed, who isn't really known for her, her wrestling in her last fight. Um, she, you know, she did show that she can still control against Gloria DePaulo. She controlled on the ground. Uh, she's she's got she's hard to take down. I'll say that. Uh, but when but if she is taken down, she struggles to get back to her feet because she's undersized. She's um, yeah, she's on the side. She's she's never been a great athlete. More like a technically sound person than than a, you know explosive. And I'm I'm kind of worried about her chin. I mean, like go back to like Pollyanna Viana's knocked her out, and and we both know that Pollyanna Viana's not really known for her striking. Now, Judicova, the first thing that jumps out to me is is she's 24 years old. I mean, you gotta love that. Uh, you said that she's a hyped up prospect. Yeah, she is. Uh, I think some of that goes with things outside of the UFC, <laughs> you know, why she gets a lot of hype. I yeah. mean, she could be a model, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, not like, uh, Oh, a fitness model. No, just a regular right. model. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like she was dating like one of the Logan Paul brothers next week. Like it wouldn't surprise me, yeah. you know, or whatever the uh, Logan Paul version of, of Russia, or, you know, was uh, she, she's, she's a, she's a good athlete. I'll say that. But on the feet, I mean, she is raw as they come. Uh, she throws a lot of wild strikes, a lot of looping strikes. She loads up. She really, she strikes like, she strikes like kids do. Like, you know, she turns her whole body to kind of wind up on her shots. Uh, she, she, you know, her striking is is, and you can tell she's working on it. But it's all like I have to learn this. But I, I really just want to grab you go for a takedown uh, she will shoot for some takedowns we saw that in her, her ufc debut even though it was really short but she's much better at closing the distance and kind of grinding in the clinch and using her size she'll go for throws she'll go for foot sweeps um, good top control she's she's got four submissions on her record but the one thing about her ground game that i might you know that she needs control is she i think you said it last time you said that she she wants to keep a grappling movie she rushes submissions which is an issue, you know, uh, almost like a very judo. If you watch judo, uh, jumping into things, I think this line is way off. Like, it, it, I think this should be a pick 'em. Um, Fry Fry is so much more polished of a fighter than Dudikova is. If you're going with Dudikova, you're really going with athleticism and potential. Like, you know, she's 24. Could she have improved a lot since her last fight? Which is which is obviously a very good possibility um 
she's bigger, she's younger, she's got the better ground game. But this is a step up in competition, and I have zero confidence in that pick. So, I mean, if you're a betting, and we are, I want to say this, and we say it enough, but if you're a new listener, we're not a betting show. We give our picks, we give our breakdowns, and you bet on how you feel. There's a lot of good uh, people out there with advice. Um, Jay Petri on our website gives out betting advice. Sean Sheehan gives out betting advice. So you want to get betting advice? Go to those guys. But if I was a better, I would bet on Jinyu Fry. Now, I'm not picking Fry because I'm just if, – if Fry – if this was three years ago, I'd probably take Fry. I just – I am i don't know what she has left. And due to cover, she's still much so much bigger than her that I think she might be able to grind her in the clinch, get some takedowns, lay on top of her. Uh, give me, give me due to cover by decision. I am in wholehearted agreement with basically everything you put down there, I, especially to the point that I favor Dudakova in this fight as the younger, bigger fighter, the one who is more likely to have made strides between her last fight and this one, and Fry as someone who is pushing forty in essentially, you know the second fastest division in mixed martial arts. But I agree the the lines do not make a ton of sense because all we know about Dudakova is that she has a quick win on a freakish arm injury against somebody that Fry probably would have been favored to beat. Like, and that that's about it. If we learn halfway through the first round that Dudakova can't get Fry down. This we're we're well one we're in for fifteen long minutes and we're in for a split decision that Jin uh, Yu Fry maybe wins. Uh, I completely agree. I, Fry just historically bad, well historically low output. But the flip side of that is that she's always been fairly defensively sound on the feet. It's like almost like her strategy is built around not getting hit hard, not getting hit cleanly, just, you know, technically sound, very buttoned up, reluctant to, you know, to come out of uh, her shell and throw her own offense. And Dudakova, who's just kind of wade forward with big looping arm punches and kind of hope to crash into Fry and end up on the ground, Fry might make her look amateurish on the feet. Uh, Dudakova, I mean, she's big, she's pretty strong, she's pretty athletic, but for someone who needs the fight on the ground, her takedown game is not that reliable. Uh, you know, she's pretty good at crashing into people, starting scrambles and trusting herself to come out the best in them. I, well, even the way she injured Nunes, uh, you know, those little sticky octopus, like those wacky wall crawler type things, like her takedown game, it's almost like throwing one of those and just watching yeah. kind of sticking. Like she, <laughs> yeah. she shot a single from way outside. You could tell that, she wasn't really intending to finish the single. She just wanted to get in on Nunez's hips, do what she could, roll for a leg, try to take her back standing, and Nunez happened to kind of go over post and the whole thing's over. Uh, I don't know if that works on Fry. Uh, my guess is that it works enough across three rounds that Dudakova wins at least two. But yeah, uh, give me Dudakova by decision as well in a fight that won ends up looking like a Jin Yu Fry fight for long stretches. And two, uh, 
maybe sends Dudikova back to the drawing board with some things to fix, even as the victor. But yeah, I, I, I think the line's way out of whack on this one as well. Next up on the UFC 294 undercard is a featherweight matchup between Nathaniel Wood and Mohamedjan Naimov. Wood, the 30-year-old Englishman, is 19-5 and overall. He is 7-2 and in the UFC. He is 3-0 and since moving up to featherweight. Uh, he started off as a bantamweight and did perfectly respectably. He was went 4-2 and in that division, decided to move up to 145 pounds, and since then, again, he's perfect. The only thing that's been able to even slow him down is a freakish training camp injury where he like slashed his knee open on some exposed molding and uh, had to back out of a fight. But aside from that, he looks like a force in his new division. He's going to go for his fourth straight win at 145 pounds against Naimov. Uh, Naimov, 29-year-old from Tajikistan. I believe he's the first Tajik fighter in the UFC. Uh, both of them... Gafarov and Naimov are on this card, and I want to say that Naimov was the first, but one of them was the first. At worst, the second uh, Tajik fighter in the UFC. 9-2 and two overall. 1-0 and oh since joining the UFC as a veteran of Season 5 of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he lost on the Contender Series, kind of went back to regional shows in the U.S., uh, and got the short-notice call-up to face Jamie Malarkey, at lightweight and kind of shocked the world or at least shocked malarkey by knocking him out in the second round with that out of the way naimov is back down to his native weight class and looking for his first win there against wood he is not favored to do so wood is minus 310 naimov plus 240. naimov is a great story i mean we the we joke about the stadiums full of people going crazy for the first and second fighters from their country ever to fight in the UFC. But jokes aside, it's a cool story. I mean, imagine being in that strip of countries. You're in there along with Russian states like Dagestan and Chechnya. You're out there with like you know Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, and all these countries are sending mad numbers of fighters to the UFC that are doing great things and your country hasn't sent a single person to the world's top promotion and all of a sudden you've got two of course they're going crazy so uh, he's a great story and at 29 he you know has some upside going forward but I do think he's actually a pretty limited fighter uh I'm interested in what these guys look like in the cage because our heights and weights have Naimov as substantially taller than Wood, but my guess is that even though Wood is the one who used to fight at 135, there's not going to be much of a difference in size between the two. Uh, Wood was a good size bantamweight, and Naimov is kind, kind of a short, stocky, stumpy uh, featherweight. He hits stupid hard, but he doesn't throw the straightest uh, punches, so his ability to get that power to the chin of a defensively sound striker. I'm not sure about uh, his takedown defense is just okay, which I mean, if you come from that part of the world, that's going to be a problem for you. If you can't stop a takedown here, I think wood is probably better everywhere except in just single one shot power. And I think wood is too good to just make a mistake and get caught with his chin in the air against Naimov. I, I think he probably carves him up a bit on the feet. I think the takedowns are going to be there if and when he wants them. And 
I think he has a very good uh, ground game. I could picture him taking down Naimov, getting in some ground and pound, advancing position, and probably doing his best work there. He might be able to outstrike Naimov on the feet for long stretches, but that's where he runs his biggest risk of getting caught with something big and silly. Uh, so give me Wood to make the smart choice, take Naimov down, do work there. I'm going to say Wood gets this done by uh, second round TKO ground and pound. Yeah. Um, I love the uh, – what's the, what's the name of this country? T- Tajikistan? Tajikistan, yeah. Yeah, I love the Tajikistan people. <laughs> I don't know Jack. I don't know jack shit about them. <laughs> I, I will be that ignorant American. Uh, but I love the idea that they're – and they've showed it. That's that 4 o'clock in the morning, there is a stadium of people watching a guy who I mean, I'm sure some people know him, but a lot of them are don't even know the guy just to have that kind of pride in your country. I don't think my own family would get up at four o'clock in the morning for that. Like maybe my wife, like my mom ain't getting up. You know, tell me how it goes. You know, my sisters, my sisters sure as hell ain't getting up. You know, I'm going to have one friend, you know, in, in fairness, my friend probably hadn't go to bed yet. So maybe that's why they're up. Um, I, I'd come if I could cover it for sure, dog. You know? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, Ben, you're a renaissance man. If if you were given a map of the world, you think, you know, all blank, you, you think you pick out Tajikistan? I, one, can pick one out, I could pick out every country in the world and their capitals. I'd nail it 100%. Fucking, man. <laughs> if you ever wonder who's more intelligent between me and Ben, there you go right there. Uh, I couldn't tell you the difference between uh, – Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan. I'm sure there's another stand I forgot. I there's mean, a lot of, there's a lot of stands, but you're yeah, you're Afghanistan and Pakistan. I, I you know I know, but yeah. um, well, it's because they've been on the map for decades. The rest of them, like the Soviet Union, fell in the early '90s, and it was like a pinata, and like 15 stands kept kept falling out. Like it, it definitely set me back a little bit. Yeah. Right, I'm gonna put you on the spot. What's the capital of Tajikistan? Dushanbe. This guy's unbelievable. This guy's unbelievable. I, I think he searched it up, knowing I was gonna ask him that. <laughs> uh, Nathaniel Wood. Uh, he's 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 another example of a guy who's moved up in weight, and it was the best thing that happened to him. I mean, he's in one one of his also maturity, like getting older and 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 getting you know coming into his prime age just helped too, but uh, just. The more and more, I think it's just more and more examples. Now, there are some people who need to cut weight, and that's best for them. But I think generally speaking, uh, you know, I, I think it's a better thing for you guys to move up. He's a really – and then he was a young guy, so sometimes he, I don't think he had a choice. But really good striker, very composed, very accurate, nice, like, crisp pop, you know, crisp striking, good pop. Uh, he's a guy that he leads with his power right hand a lot. Which is which is a lot of guys, you know, they lead with their front hand. He leads with the rear hand a lot. He avoids shots. There's one thing I don't like about a striking. He avoids shots with shoulder rolls, which you know I'm not not a fan of. I think it's more of a boxing thing than MMA. Um, but he throws a lot of teep kicks up the middle. I mean, he brutalized Charles Rosa with with calf kicks. Uh, he combines punches and kicks well, uh, especially when he gets in the pocket. 
you talked about his wrestling. I think he's a much better wrestler than he gets credit for. I mean, the, that area of the world doesn't get enough credit, and they really have made huge jumps in wrestling than they did years ago. Um, he gets inside. And, he and, and actually bringing up good wrestlers, not just importing Muhammad Mukayev and being like, look, we got great wrestlers too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards yeah. is one of the best wrestlers in the UFC. You yeah. Know? Um, uh, he, he gets in – the, uh, the like the clinch, he looks for body locks and stuff. That's in trips. That's where he's more good at. But he can also shoot from the outside. Good overall grappling. He's got six uh, subs on his record, so I would say he's a submission threat. Uh, Naimov took the fight against Jamie Alarkey on days' notice in his UFC debut. That, like that's the other thing. Like you come from a small country, you have this unbelievable moment. You have a whole country, you know, of Turkestan in a in an arena watching you. You take on a good guy in Jamie Malarkey. Like that's not like you know lower level. I mean, he's not you know, he's not a world beat or anything like that. But he, you beat Jamie Malarkey. That's a solid win. Yeah. And you get a knockout. It was so short. We didn't preview it. We previewed Malarkey versus um, Kutsalatse. Yeah. And so that's how short it was. And <laughs> Malarkey was a full head taller than this guy. Yeah, and he, 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 he's a really good striker. He can fight out of both stances. He's pretty elusive, does a lot of L-stepping and cutting angles well, uses a lot of feints to set up his shots. Big kicking game, uh, hard kicks to the body, nice high kick. He also likes teep kicks. Now, I don't I want to, you know, if you didn't watch the fight, if you don't remember the fight, it, yeah, he caught Malachi. Malachi was winning. But, it, like, he wasn't getting blown out by him. Uh, the one thing that Malachi was able to do against him is he was pressuring him, and he didn't like the pressure. Now, again, when you take a fight on a couple of days' notice, you know you might not be able to fight. You have to fight a little differently. You have to start your energy. But he doesn't like fighting off his back foot, which, I mean, not many people do, but it's something I want to point out. Uh, I do like when he gets inside, he looks for elbows. Uh, he's a good wrestler. He's got some fast entries. But I was surprised uh, that he was taken down a couple of times by Malarkey. Um, but Malarkey, again, is also an historically underrated wrestler. And, and that's another area of the world that we don't talk about their wrestling that has come leaps and bounds. Uh, uh, one concern when you go to like his regional fights, he has gassed out in the past. Uh, a lot of that has to do with his like, big, uh, spectacular kicks that he does. I think it was a good fight. Uh, you said Wood was like he was – what was his – how big of a favorite was he? Minus it? 310. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I wrote down every fight. So I, I, I can't sit still. I'm one of these guys. I'm always doodling. I'm always doing something. Uh, I, I wrote down the fights, and I was trying to figure out which fight was one of the guys where, you know, you said there was only two fights that it's not two to one. <laughs> and two of the ones I was like, oh, Friday Cobra, that would be one of them. And that wouldn't name off. So I'm already wrong on those. I already changed it to two other ones. Um I like both guys. I really do. I, I think both guys are good additions. To I mean, obviously, Wood's been in the UFC for a while, but uh, I, I think we got a good, fun affair on the feet, uh, and I think we got some good scrambles on the ground. I'm picking Wood, but I think we got a little bit of war out of hand. I think it's going to be one of those, like, a fun fight. It will, you know, it's buried on the prelims, so it's probably not going to get fight of the night or, or anything like that, but I think it'll be one of those ones where you're, like, you're, you're pleasantly uh, pleased with the fight. I think Wood is a little bit faster. I think he's a little bit more accurate. He's he's more experienced in like high level experience, and he's faced better competition. So I will go with Wood. I'll say Wood by decision. Yeah, considering some of the stuff we have further up this card, this could be one of those things where Wood versus Naimov is this absolute barn burner. But by the time the main event is done, and you and I are, you know, getting ready for the recap or whatever form that takes, it just feels like Wood versus Naimov was three days ago. 
just because yes. we've been through the emotional ringer so many times since then. Yeah, and trying to figure out the uh, the time it's going to be here. Like in the East Coast, it's probably about eleven a.m. when this fight goes on. You know, if you're in the you're in the West Coast, it's talking about eight a.m. Like you eat, you eat breakfast. You got nothing going on. I'll tell you this right now. You got. I'm an early riser. I don't, I'm not a good sleeper. If you got nothing going on on a Saturday, which I know it's going to be hard for a lot of people, especially if you like me, you have kids, kids who do sports and stuff. But if you live on the West Coast and you're like. Yeah, you work Monday to Friday, the 22, you don't have any kids. I, is there anything better? You get up at 8 o'clock in the morning and watch fights and be done by, I don't know, yeah. 2 in the afternoon? Go out and have your social life in the evening? Pfft, yeah, you great, go out for dinner. Shit, you might go out for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Hell, <laughs> I mean, uh, Hawaii, what, 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 time, what time would that be? It'd be uh, Hawaii is three hours before the West Coast, so it's like 5 in the morning? Yeah, get up at five a.m. by by eleven. You're like, you just starting your day. You already watched the fights. Of course, you well, you'll know, be like one because you watch the recap show. Of course, yeah, of course, of course. Like that's, but that's part of the fights. Yeah. Marcel Dorf, we expect to see you on the recap, man. Yeah, he has no excuse. Yeah. We head now to the lightweight division for a matchup between Mike Breeden and Anshul Jubilee. Breeden, the 34-year-old Missouri native, is 10 and 6 overall. He is 0 and 3 in the UFC. Uh, he has lost to Alexander Hernandez, Natan Levy, and Terrence McKinney. The most recent of those, the McKinney fight, was back in August at the Luque versus Dos Anjos fight night, and it was very much a Terrence McKinney fight. Breeden was knocked out of his shoes in like 90 seconds. Breeden, almost certainly on the last fight of his. Uh, UFC deal almost certainly with his back against the wall here unless he wins and wins in impressive fashion will face off against Jubilee a uh, 28 year old from India is a perfect 7 and 0 as a professional he's 1 and 0 since or sorry 2 and 0 since joining the UFC as the lightweight winner of the road to UFC Asia tournament uh, he beat uh, Jekasargi back in February at the uh, the road to UFC final by second round TKO. So uh, yeah, he's looking for uh, yet another win to keep his professional record and his UFC record spotless. He is heavily favored to do so. He's minus 400 Breeden plus 300. Keith, Mike Breeden is 0 and 3 in the UFC. He was a glory MMA and fitness guy in the wake of that disintegration he moved over to uh, marathon mma with uh, trey ogden which the majority of the glory guys who were local to kansas city seem seem to have done does he have anything for for jubilee here is he going to keep his his job like how yeah, do you see this fight breaking out that's your team man it, uh, you know when, when sure dog used to send like guys out to different camps and stuff and we got to send ben out to to marathon and 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 Become become the uh, official official journalist of that that team. You love that team. They're, they're doing good. They're doing very well. They're, so. they're doing. I'm not I talking mean, shit. I'm just mentioning. No, it. They're, they're making the best of a bad situation. Yeah. No, they're doing yeah. well. Trey Young yeah. is being being a pretty solid coach. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, so Breeden, I think he's better than his record suggests. You know, he hasn't faced. I mean, what'd you say? You said uh, Alexander Hernandez. Mm -hmm. um, Terrence McKinney, who was the third guy. Levy. Yeah, like all three of those guys are solid UFC fighters. They're not the bottom of the barrel. 
You know, the, the worst one in that group is what? Alexander Hernandez? And he got knocked out in the first round. And you know what? First round Hernandez is the best Hernandez for what it's worth. Yeah. So, yeah. So he, I think he could be better than than his UFC record shows. Now, he's a technically, you know, technically sound striker. He's got pretty good high output. Uh, he uses feints instead of his shots well. He's got pretty quick hands. I like that he, he you know, he steps in and really whips his right hand for, for the knockouts. I like that he goes to the body. Uh, pretty big kicking game. A lot of calf kicks. Uh, he'll rip a, a quick high kick. He's a guy he wants to work from range. He doesn't want to be pressured. He doesn't want to get into a brawl. Uh, but the big issue on the feet is what's plagued him in his first three few fights is he has durability issues. I mean, Hernandez knocked him out. I mean, Terrence McKinney, get knocked out by Terrence McKinney. The, there's no shame in that. Like, he's knocked out a lot of good guys. He will wrestle a little, but he's definitely not a very good defensive wrestler. I mean, Natan Levy took him down nine times. I mean, even in the contender series, Anthony Romero took him down twice. So that's another big, huge, um, you know, flaw in his game. Uh, move over to Jubilee. Jubilee's big for the weight class. He's a bigger guy. He's a pretty technically sound striker. Throws straight shots down the pipe. He can pick apart opponents from range. Uh, I love his left hook. He does really well to wrap his overhand right around his opponent's defense, which is something I, I really love. Uh, he can throw. He, he can he can be a little too low output. You know, throwing single strikes, trying to land the best shot. Uh, I like that he works works the body though. Uh, he's got some plus power. He can telegraph some of his power shots though. He can you know wind up a little bit more too much, but he does well to use his footwork, uh, cut angles well. Uh, which makes him tough to hit and counter. He's good at attacking, sliding away from counters, and then and then sliding back in. So kind of being like first and third in, in the combination, you know, or the, or the exchange, I say. Uh, I like that he goes with some step in knees. He's not much of an offensive wrestler, and what I've seen him, he's a pretty like poor defensive wrestler. But he is hard to hold down. He he works back his feet. But one concern when I saw in the region, he is gassed out in the past. So. Even though I said nice things about Breeden, I like Jubilee here. Um, is it insane that he's what, like three to one, four to one? Like, four to one. Yeah, I, I, these odds have been way off, uh, especially if Breeden might have the offensive right. Like I don't know. Like I, you don't see either of these guys offensive wrestling much, but Breeden will occasionally look for a takedown. So having having an, an edge in one area, uh, and again, I don't know if he has the edge, but I, but but it wouldn't surprise me if Breeden does. It makes me feel like a guy shouldn't be that big of a favorite. That said, on the feet, Jubilee's a much sharper guy, a um, little bit quicker, hits harder. I think Jubilee picks him apart, and uh, I think he wins a decision. Give me Jubilee by decision. Yeah, I, I like the breakdown there. And maybe Jubilee is better than I think because I was coming into this with the thought that, okay, I was kind of surprised that he was the guy that came out of the road to UFC tournament of like the kind of final four there. He was the one that he definitely wasn't the first one I would have picked to have any kind of future with the UFC, but I was going to say, but you know what? I, I like what I see out of him when he goes to the ground. So to hear you praise his striking makes you think, Oh, maybe he's a little better all around than I'm giving him credit for. Uh, I feel as though offensively on the feet, he puts his height and reach to good uh, to good use these days. You mentioned he's good at uh, wrapping punches around the guard of a you know fighter that's pillaring, and that only really works if you have the reach advantage. Uh, <clears throat> uh, earlier 
in his career. I'm, I say earlier he's 7-0, but in his early fights, he had a little bit of the tall man striking defense problem where he would lack head movement and just sort of back his head straight up and trust that to keep him out of, out of harm's way. Because of that, he's, he's gotten caught cleanly in quite a few of his fights, even for a guy who is still undefeated. But I really liked what I've seen out of him in definitely in his two road to UFC fights and in some of his earlier stuff that I saw. For a guy that rarely initiates the wrestling, he seems very comfortable once the fight hits the ground. Uh, like once the wrestling has started and they're in a scramble or, or he's sprawling or, or whatever's happening, uh, he's a solid wrestler. He's a submission threat in transition as well as from top and bottom position, uh, has pretty good top control. In his final, he ran over Sargi on, on the ground in a way I did not expect. I, I thought Sargi would have the advantage on the ground, and that was not the case at all. Uh, Jubilee took his back, had him in almost a crucifix where he had his arm gift wrap, slid into mount, just pounded him on the ground. I, I That was kind of an eye-opener for me. My guess here is that Jubilee gives Breeden a lot of stuff he doesn't like the taste of on the feet. Breeden ends up either frustrated or desperate and shoots a takedown, and it ends up being the kiss of death. Give me Jubilee here by, I'm going to say second round submission, but second round TKO, ground and pound, would be almost as likely for me. But I think it gets initiated when Breeden shoots a takedown and Jubilee makes him pay for it. Middleweights take the cage next as Abu Azetar and Cedricus Dumas face off. Azetar, the 37-year-old German-born Moroccan, is 14-3-1 overall. He is 1-1 one one since joining the UFC all the way back in 2018. Uh, he won his debut by unanimous decision over Vitor Miranda. He's only fought once since then. Uh, got punched out by Marc-Andre Berrio about two and a half years ago at UFC 260. In between there, he has been kept on the shelf by a variety of issues, including uh, injuries, including travel visa issues, and of course, most infamously, because of the stupid, well, uh, Abu Dhabi incident where his brother or somebody from his entourage was climbing the outside wall of the fighter hotel, trying to deliver him what he claimed was a bag of like French fries or, or some shit. It's so dumb that I'm getting dumber even trying to remind myself of what it was. So suffice it to say, he's fought twice. In so, Ben, ben you said you would you would get up at 4 a.m., but would you scale the outside of, of wall for me? Would you do that for me? I totally would, but it's kind of like when you're the one who has to go out to – you know, Wendy's or Whataburger or whatever for your family. So you're just taking a few of everybody's fries uh, oh, yeah. uh, for, on the way back. Like uh, you're getting, you're getting two thirds of a bag of fries, dude. Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, this would be 10 nuggets in this one. There's only six. I don't know. It's, yeah. I don't know. Running short. I don't know. Those jerks. Yeah. You should call and complain. Uh, <laughs> all right. Suffice it to say, Azatar uh, has only fought in the UFC twice in going on six years now. This is shot number three. Waiting for him will be Dumas. Uh, 28-year-old Floridian is also one and one in the UFC, but it's only taken him like 14 months to get there. Uh, he won on the Contender Series last August. Since then, he has a submission loss to Josh Fremd in March and a decision win over Cody Brundage in June. Odds? 
This is one of the two fights on the card that is closer than two to one. Who's the favorite? Um, Dumas. You are correct. Cedric with Dumas is minus 170. Uh, Abu Azatar plus 140. I... If there was a good citizenship award for this card, uh, neither of the guys in this fight is getting it. I'm not going to go deeply into it. Keith has an actual article on Sherdog about some of the reasons Dumas should not be in the violence business professionally. And Azatar, for as silly as the whole potato thing was, he has legit issues in his like personal conduct that make you kind of raise an eyebrow. I I don't know. What what has he, what has he done? I don't know. Uh, Besides the potatoes. He and his brother have both been linked to, well, for one thing, just public brawls and violence where they've like beaten the shit out of untrained people for situations that look like they may have created them. But also like a little bit of getting involved with the, uh, like the Royal family in their country and being linked to like radicalizing elements like stuff that's a a longer than this two minute intro to really get into but okay sorry no uh here's the the thing all that stuff aside during the time that all these distractions have kept abu azatar on the shelf his stock has plummeted in in 2018 after his uh uf like after his win over vitor Miranda. He was 32 years old and he was, what was he at the time? I guess he would have been 14 and two, a finisher for the most part, some high level experience in WSOF. He was a mildly intriguing prospect. And now he's 37. He is the beginning of Mark Andre Barrio's resurgence, which like, you don't want to be that guy. Uh, and just so much of the upside is gone. The reputation for silliness aside, he is a short squat middleweight who managed to make a distant striking game work just because he was fast and explosive enough to bounce into range, hit taller fighters with hard stuff and bounce back out of range. And he had a seemingly endless gas tank. And against Barrio, it seems like a lot of that has faded and that shouldn't be too surprising. Again, he's, he's 37 now. This is not a good matchup for him because if he's still the same Abu Azatar, he's going to be trying to bounce into range against someone in, in Dumas who for all the flaws in his game, he is big. He has good reach and he delivers nasty power at a variety of ranges. Like he, obviously he loves his long kicking game, loves, you know, his head kicks his you know, body kicks, loves keep keeping people at distance with those kicks. But uh, he's also good at throwing knees at people on the inside, throwing elbows, kind of mugging people with hockey fight type punches. I don't think there are going to be any real safe spots for Azatar here. Yeah, I mean, the Barrio fight, Azatar went down late just out of a combination of Barrio being bigger and kind of building and Barrio being power bar uh, and just not getting tired. I don't see that out of Dumas. Like Dumas is either going to finish him early 
or I expect that they're both going to kind of get tired at the same time and it's just going to drag out. So give me Dumas by decision here in a fight where he's clearly superior, but maybe just doesn't have enough left in the tank uh, to finish as Atar. What will be finished is any kind of prospect hope for Azatar to be a future top 15 middleweight. I think that's gone. Yeah, I, I think that might have been gone even before this this fight happened. Um, yeah, um, I'm not a fan of either guy. Um, I, I don't. I haven't followed the Azatar's history as much as Dumas, but I mean he's 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 a terrible human. I mean the guy pistol whipped a woman. <laughs> so. Um, uh, as, as far as his skills, I mean, yeah, he's a very big guy. He's a kickboxer. He's long and lengthy. He's explosive. He's He closes his distance really quickly, lands big, long shots. He hits hard. He's got a good kicking game, hard kicks to the body, uh, good calf kicks. Uh, he has issues defensively. He backs straight up. Uh, he was cracked by Josh Frem. In, in their fight, he's not much of an offensive wrestler, but he's a, he's a weaker defensive wrestler. Uh, he was, you know, he was though he he did stop some takedowns from Cody Brundage. Uh, uh, he did get, still get taken down a couple of times, but yeah, you know, he had really heavy hips. Uh, he's and he and he worked his way back up. He's he's not much of a submission threat, and he also rushes position. Uh, but he did get a guillotine on the contender series. But he gassed out bad against Josh Frem, though his cardio was much better against Cody Brunch. I mean, he looked like a completely different fighter. Uh, Azeda on the feet, he's a brawler. Like he wants to get it. He's very explosive. He gets inside in the pocket and he, and he tries taking his opponent's head off with every single strike. Uh, they're hard looping shots. Uh, I I do like that he works the body. He's very physically strong. Um, he will wrestle, kind of wild, you know, get some wild scrambles going. Uh, he will go crazy for sub attacks and, and they end up in bad position. And he's a weak defensive wrestler. He was taken down by Vita Moran three times uh, and, and struggled to get off from the bottom. Um, that, you know, I, I, I got to correct something before I get sued. Allegedly, Pistol whipped a woman. So I, I want to <laughs> allegedly. Uh, but. Uh, he he uh, Dumas has gone on record. He has been arrested for domestics and, and convicted, I believe. Uh, man, skill wise, I think he's probably the better fighter. But uh, the moral, the police officer in me doesn't want, doesn't want to take <laughs> him. So I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with Zeta. I'm gonna say he's there to get inside, lands some hard shots. I think he lands a few takedowns. Um, I think this happens for 15 minutes. They both get really tired, and Zadar wins a really ugly decision. All right. We have our first bis uh, bit of disagreement on the card. Yeah. Our first upset pick out. of any kind. But uh, we head now to the men's bantamweight division for a match between the undefeated red hot Javid Basharat and Victor Henry. Basharat, the 28 year old Afghanistani by way of London, is 14 0 as a professional. He is 3-0 since joining the UFC out of the fifth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He fought most recently in January, where he took a unanimous decision over Mateus Mendonca. So he's looking to go 4-0 in the UFC. He will look to do it at the expense of Henry. 36-year-old uh, Southern California native is 23-6 overall. He is 2-1 in the UFC. He is coming in off of a win. He took a split decision over Tony Gravely 
at UFC Fight Night, Jan versus Dwalishvili back in March. Odds here. This is not one of the fights on the card where there is not a two-to-one or greater favorite. In fact, Basharat is one of the biggest favorites on the entire card. He is minus 425. Henry, plus 350. Keith, I'm going to chip this one to you first, but any I've, I've said this before. Anytime there's that big an underdog on a in a fight, I start by asking, okay, if the upset happens, what does it look like? And Victor Henry, as a guy who, at least offensively, presents a threat almost anywhere, would make me nervous taking someone, even someone as good as Javid Basharat, as a greater than four to one favorite over him. Tell me if you feel any of that at all, or if you think this is going to look like a four to one, like washing. Yeah, the biggest thing, um, yes, yeah, so I'll start with Henry, what he does, what he does well. He, he I don't, I don't feel like I have a good read on Henry. Um, I don't know if he's really good or he's just a guy. I mean, he looked tremendous against Hani Basolas, and then he looked really bad against Rafael Sunso, and then he looked really good against Tony Gravely. So I'm like, I, guess, I, don't, I don't know what he is. Um, he's a good athlete. He moves well. He's got high volume. That's something that that's you you know ask what's the best chance of he can just out volume because Bashra takes moments off and, and can be low output. So that that's one thing he just beat him with volume. Uh, he's a builder who gets better as the fight moves along. He's pretty technical. Uh, he sets up attacks and uses feints well. He switches stances in mid combination, which I like. He doesn't have too much power, so I don't think like you know. Obviously, there's always like that clip on and, and win, but generally speaking, that that would really surprise me. Um, I should say really surprise me. Nothing really surprised me that anymore, but it, it's it's less likely, I should say. Uh, he's got a really solid kicking game, so. You know, kicks to all ears. He beat up Tony Gravely with teep kicks. Uh, also had a a good high kick. If he could keep him at bay with kicks, that's that's something that he you know he could do. Uh, that Bashar might struggle to get by. Uh, he should. You know, he's not much of an offensive wrestler, uh, but he showed some really solid takedown defense against a guy like Tony Gravely. Who, you know, you know he wants to wrestle. He's got good hip control. If taken down, he is hard to hold down. I'm surprised that he doesn't try to get the fight to the ground more himself, though, because he's a good grappler. He's got eight submission wins. Uh, I've seen him get some sweeps off his back, too, which is which is becoming more and more rare in, in MMA. Yeah. Uh, as far as Basharat, he's, he's a really well-rounded fighter, good striker, moves well, can fight out of both stances, very relaxed, calculated, got some good vision. He's accurate on the feet, not a lot of tells in his strikes. He, he throws combos, though he can be too patient and not throw enough. Uh, he he changes stance in mid-combination to get a better angle, which I which I really love. Fast hands. Uh, he's got a really quick jab. Good at sliding in and out of range and landing shots. Uh, he's good at hand fighting, you know, using it to get around his opponent's attacks, grabbing hands and, you know, t- feeling range and stuff like that. Uh, I love that he works the body. He can crack too, uh, you know. I, I wouldn't say he's like a you know one and done kind of power puncher, but he you know he's got some stinging shot power. Great kicking game. Uh, I like his teep kicks up the middle. I like his mean calf kicks. I like that he checks light kicks, which is a few people do. Uh, I love the step in knees. He he was landing on uh, Tony Gravely. He needs to clean up his defense. He carries his hands low. He backs straight up on the center line. He keeps his chin a little high. But he's a really good wrestler. I mean, he took Tony Gravely down again. I, I know I keep mentioning Gravely, but he fought both these guys. So yeah. there's like, you know, uh, 
something in common, I should say. But he's not your traditional wrestler. He's more of a creative scrambling and and win it. And he likes getting takedowns by catching kicks. Uh, he he showed some good takedown defense against Tony Gravely, uh, smothering top control. Uh, he looks to advance position on the ground. Uh, he has strong ground and pound, six submission wins, and, and a good cardio. So think about Basher, like I have all these notes on him. He's just a guy when you watch him, you just like keep writing things down. Like he does this good, he does this good, he does. He's got so many tools. Uh, this is a fun fight. I'm picking Basher out though. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to limb. Being a four to one fit, his striking is so sharp. Uh, I see him landing over and over on Henry, getting past the kicks, getting into that mid mid range. Uh, I think he'll mix in a couple takedowns himself. Uh, I like Basher. I think it's gonna be a lopsided decision. Basher out by decision. Maybe maybe even have a ten eight round in there. Uh, I I like the breakdown there, and I agree with a lot of those uh, observations. Obviously, Henry losing to Asunsao was concerning, especially losing to Asunsao the way he did. I I mean, I had Henry big time going into that one just after beating Hani Barcelos pretty convincingly because I thought Asunsao was a smaller, older version of a similar fighter to Barcelos and Asunsao seemed very much to be at the tail end of his career. And Asunsao just had way too much success everywhere. And you kind of circled around my big takeaway from the Asunsao fight, which is where Henry's offense on the feet relies a lot on his kicks. He likes to kick a lot. He has good kicks, uh, you know, kicks to all levels. But Asunsao punished him by catching his kicks a lot. Uh, either catching him and just using him to kind of catch the kick and sock him with a right cross with the other hand, like Anderson Silva did to James Irvin or catching the kick and using it to topple him over. I think both those avenues are going to be open to Basharat if Henry elects to kick a lot. And yeah, I just think Basharat is faster and sharper on the feet. I think if this goes to the ground, Henry presents unique challenges there. You mentioned he's a very good grappler and it's a unique brand of grappling. He came up primarily fighting in Asian promotions, at least for the last quite a few years under the tutelage of Josh Barnett. So it's a little different flavor of grappling to what you're used to seeing out of, you know, most of your North American UFC fighters in particular, where uh, most of them have some type of amateur wrestling background, like, high school if not college and then pick up brazilian jiu-jitsu to go with it and a lot of them will have predictable go-to techniques predictable reactions in certain positions and henry's just a little bit surprising there none of that really helps his chances against basharat though basharat has managed to answer some questions about himself since he's been in the ufc i mean he came to the ufc as an undefeated prospect obviously all finishes, they throw him again, throw him in against Aron Kalen in on the contender series, and he runs him over. And through that point, like his first eleven fights, he had a hundred percent finish rate. His three decisions have come in his last three fights. His three fights in the UFC have all gone the distance. It's the first three times he's gone the distance, and each time he was the fresher fighter pulling away in the third round. So one of the big questions you'd have about, you know, an explosive, fast-moving fighter who had a bunch of first and second round finishes have been answered. 
there's there's not even the question of well if this gets to the third round is Boshrot going to be exhausted and Henry be able to take advantage of him nope Boshrot has shown that he's just fine so yeah he's a huge favorite here Henry offensively has lots of ways that he could score on him but it would take something special to either finish Basharat or make enough of a change in the momentum of the fight that it affects the ultimate decision. I'm with you here. Uh, give me Basharat by decision. Second from the top of the UFC 294 prelims is a lightweight matchup pitting Muhammad Yaya against Trevor Peak. Yaya, newsflash. The UFC has been going to Abu Dhabi for a while. It is one of uh, the promotion's de facto homes away from home. Despite all the cards that the UFC has done in Abu Dhabi, despite the fact that UAE Warriors and Brave CF over next door in Bahrain have become such pipelines of talent to the UFC, Muhammad Yaya, when he steps into the cage, will be the first fighter from the United Arab Emirates to fight in the UFC. Uh, and heck... He'll already be in an arena in his home country. So like, it won't even be like Tajikistan where they all have to get on the bus and go somewhere. Anyway, the first Emirati fighter to fight in the UFC, 29 years old, 12 and three overall. Uh, he is the UAE Warriors lightweight champ and he is on a five fight win streak that he will look to extend to six in the biggest fight of his life against Peak. Uh, Peak, 28 year old Alabama native is eight and one with one no contest overall. He is one and one since joining the UFC out of season six of Dana White's Contender Series. He had a successful debut, knocking out Eric Gonzalez with just one second left in the first round. Came back in June at UFC on ABC Emmett versus Tapuria and dropped a unanimous decision to Jose Mariscal. So Peak looking to get back on track after his first career loss. Uh, this is the other of the fights on the card that is closer than two to one. Keith, the favorite is minus 130. The underdog is plus 110. Who are they? Uh, I'll say the favorite is uh, Yaya. It is actually Peak. Peak is minus 130. Yaya plus 110. Uh, 155 pounds is a tough division to stand out. You got to do a lot before you get on, on the radar. Do you see top... 15 upside for either of these guys and regardless <laughs> no. of that who wins no no neither guy um yeah no no i i'm not really i'm not really high on, on either of these guys uh obviously yeah i'm much more familiar with peak as you know he's had a couple fights in the ufc uh he's, he's a very aggressive fighter. I mean, he's fun to watch i mean he fights like a wild man i mean he's he throws all these punches, wild looping punches from his hips. He's got huge power. I mean, all his wins have come by way of knockout. Uh, he, he rips the body with uh, wild hooks. He throws a ton of, like, lead uppercuts, which is just insane that that, that happens in the UFC. Uh, he telegraphs his shots by loading up on everything. He overthrows his shots, uh, so he's open to be countered. He, he bob and weaves, but he does it so drastically. So he's going to, like, dip to one side and and um, he's he's gonna get blasted with a high kick or a knee or something one of these days. Uh, he he when he throws kicks, he's got hard kicks. Uh, he will sneak in a takedown, but he's not a very good wrestler. Uh, he has some mean grind and pound though when he's on top, but he's been hurt bad. I mean, I'll say this: he can take a beating. I mean, Masco landed some big shots on him. Even in the contender series, he was hurt bad and he found the ability to win. Uh, 
but he gassed out also gassed out bad at Marcel. He like he kept going hard, but he you know the, the obviously the pace really slowed down. Uh, yeah, yeah, he he's he's a minus athlete. He's he's very flat footed. He's he's a counter striker, but he throws a lot of single shots. He he does he's not he's not a wild guy. Like he doesn't throw like wild looping shots. He he throws straight shots down the pipe. He's got good power. He really steps into his shots when he when he does throw. But he's open to leg kicks, very boxing style. Doesn't check any leg kicks. Keeps his chin high in the air. He's very hittable because he doesn't move his head. I haven't seen too much of his offensive wrestling. In the one fight I saw him on top, he had pretty good ground and pound. But his defensive wrestling is weak. I mean, and, w- and when he's been taken down, he's, he struggles to get back up. Um, he was almost knocked out in his last fight. <laughs> and, you know, he has the card to go to 25 minutes. I mean, he's a, he's a champion in, in, you know, his previous organization. And, and he's going 25 minutes, so going 15 minutes shouldn't be a problem. But I was I was like watching his last fight, and, and I wasn't scoring it because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm basically really focusing on one guy. But he might have lost his last fight, like, or it was really close. Um, I, I'm not really high on either guy. Peak is so sloppy, but he's fun as hell. Uh, yeah, he's a better athlete. Like, he, Peak is a good athlete. Uh, I say he lands a haymaker and a back and forth sloppy war, and I see Peak knocks him out. I'll say he does it in the second round. Man, I know you're right. And I'm going the other way. There's no knowing in this fight who's right. This, this is the worst kind of fight to pick as, you know, an analyst. Because whichever, like, if I'm wrong, I'm going to be super, super wrong. If, if I pick Yaya as a guy who he's been into the third round in three or in four of his last five fights, he's been into the fifth round in two of them, just clearly has plenty of gas to go at a reasonably high pace for five rounds. Because I agree with you. His his last fight in UAE Warriors was really close, and it was against a not very good fighter. Like His fight before that was actually a lot more impressive to me. But at, at the very least, he's proven that in a competitive, pretty high-paced fight, he has three or five rounds worth of cardio where Peak demonstrably does not. So, but that doesn't matter if Peak knocks him out in 45 seconds. So if I pick Yaya and Peak knocks him out in 45 seconds, I feel like an idiot. If I pick Peak and he doesn't get the first round knockout and Yaya just drags him up and down the octagon for the last nine minutes of the fight, then I look like an idiot for picking Peak. Like I can I can see the matchup of styles and tendencies and athletic gifts very clearly here, and it all just comes down to picking the right thing. I'm picking Yaya by decision here, and maybe even a decision where buoyed by the crowd that it's gonna go nuts for him. He's pounding on like an exhausted peak in the third round on the ground, and you know we have a 10-8 round or a question of, you know, can he get a finish in his UFC debut? So I, I'm going to pick Yaya to win at least the second and third rounds here, win the fight going away. But if I'm wrong, I'm going to know it real, real quick because Peak's going to knock him the hell out quick. The top prelim at UFC 294 is a men's flyweight matchup between Tim Elliott and Mohamed Makayev. Elliot, the 36-year-old uh, Missouri native, is 19-12-1 and 1 overall. 
He is 8-10 across two separate stints with the UFC, but in his most recent run in the UFC, he is an even 6-6 six and six since joining as the winner of the Ultimate Fighter Season 24 and therefore the automatic challenger to then flyweight king Demetrius Johnson. Uh, he acquitted himself admirably in a loss to Johnson and again since then six and six he's on a two-fight win streak and in fact has won four of his last five but he comes into this fight uh, off of wins over Tagir Ulambekov and Victor Altamirano in his last two he will look to make it three in a row against one of the UFC's brightest shiniest prospects and budding stars Mikhaev 23 year old Russian by way of England is 10-0 with one no contest overall. He is 4-0 in the UFC. He fought most recently back in March at UFC 286, where he tapped out Jafel Filio in the third round of a fight that was, frankly, uh, subject to a bit of controversy. Filio had him in all kinds of trouble on the ground, had him in a knee bar that, under the auspices of a more nervous ref, could have resulted in a technical submission right there. There's an open question over whether Mikhaev actually did tap and it went unnoticed by referee Herb Dean. Leaving that aside, Mikhaev came back, gutted it out, won by third round submission to leave no doubt in anybody's mind, uh, faced easily the sternest test of his uh, career so far, and he's going to look to go 5-0 and in the UFC, and he is heavily favored to do so uh if i remember correctly he is the biggest favorite on the card at minus 550 elliot plus 400. Uh, keith i understand why muhammad Mukayev is the favorite he's yet to lose a fight at least officially he is a dazzling athlete he's well-rounded uh sure the hype helps a little bit but things i learned in the filio fight are that he can be put into trouble by a fighter who's tough enough not to go away mm. and knows what he's doing on the ground. Yeah. Those things apply to yeah. Tim Elliott. Yeah. Very much so. Oh, and yeah. Tim Elliott, on top of all of that, has the secret card up his sleeve of being an unrepentant cheater. And I'm <laughs> not saying that like he's just some repeat PED test failure guy. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I think it's great that Elliott basically is indicting the system by saying if i know i can get away with fence grabs and glove grabs why wouldn't i do it yeah uh and he's not he's not a gina mazzani cheater either he's no not that about, case. we're talking about betting the rules in the in the, in the fight yeah. game yeah like th there is no if you're not cheating you're not trying in a marriage like that's yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah say that to my wife see how that goes yeah. see how that go. <laughs> uh uh I mean, my my brain says Makayev is going to absolutely piece Elliot up on the feet. Like Elliot is capable of taking care of himself on the feet, but Makayev is blindingly fast. He's going to actually be taller and longer. He throws a good diversity of strikes. I could just see see him chewing Elliot's legs up with kicks that Elliot is too slow to react to, and then just going upstairs and just busting him with punches again, even though. Elliot's got his guard up. I could see Maka the speed differential being such that Makayev is just, you know, nailing him with the jab. 
I think when Makayev wants this fight to go to the ground, he's going to be able to shoot, get in on Elliot's hips. And unless they're close enough for Elliot to grab the fence, take him for a ride. I think Makayev's probably going to get his first takedown is going to be a big scoop and slam. But then that's where it gets dicey. Because if Makayev has any faults right now, and it's tough to find fault in an undefeated fighter who's been blowing through almost everybody, but he's he's young. He gets overeager. He overpursues the the finish on the ground and can lose position. He uh, can sometimes overswing on the feet. Elliot may not be able to make him pay on the feet, but Elliot can make him pay on the ground. So even if I think Makayev is going to cut Tim Elliott up on the feet and then slam him on the ground in the first two minutes of this fight, I think that's where it gets interesting. Even so, I mean, the chances that... The chances that, that Elliott catches Makayev in, in a bad mistake like Filio does and is actually able to finish him seem really slim to me. Elliott also is the kind of guy who's been able to win fights in the past by just kind of gutting it out and pulling ahead on a tired, discouraged opponent. But Makayev has not shown that other sometimes flaw in young dynamic prospects in that he seems to have the motor to go three rounds. Like he's, he's gotten tired before, but he's not gotten so tired that other people have come back on him and, and made it very interesting. Like the only fight he's had where it looked like he might lose for a minute was in the middle of the fight, not the end. So Give me Mikhaev here. I'm as tough as Elliot is and as well as he, you know, does on the ground. I'm going to say this goes to decision. You know, maybe Mikhaev just completely lights him up on the feet and knocks him out early, but I'm going to say this goes to decision. And I, the most I want out of this is just to see if Tim Elliott makes this interesting and maybe teaches Mikhaev a lesson in poise and composure that otherwise he's probably going to have to take his first loss to learn yeah that's that's you know a concern in this fight is you know you have this super high prospect that people think could win a title one day and i could also see this be a fight that he loses and doesn't change where he can go it's just that that loss on the that guy's you know the big star coming up record that's always gonna be on his record kind of thing like uh oh wow man when he lost to this guy yeah we know what we get with Tim Elliott. And, and I'll say this about Tim Elliott. I, I said earlier about Junior Fry being like one of these people that, you know, you don't learn anything when you watch her and you're bored. Tim Elliott's one of these guys. I don't really learn anything about him anymore when I watch him. Like, I, I kind of know what I'm getting with Tim Elliott. But I'm never bored watching him. Like, the guy's fun as hell. You know, he's an unorthodox fighter that uses a lot of movement to get his opponents guessing. Very kind of like Dominic Cruz style, bobbing, weaving, keeps his hands down and and he avoids strikes with rolling with punches and kind of he, he avoids strikes by just not getting landed on clean uh really good volume he presses on usually he presses on ungodly pace i mean he throws a lot of looping hard hooks but he lacks power he's not he's not gonna start you kind of guy he he's gonna wrestle he's gonna wrestle a lot but he's unauthorized. He, he, you know yeah he'll shoot on the hips and stuff but he's more of a guy like he he, he wants to catch a kick when you throw at him uh, and take you down from there. He also likes to get in a clinch and, and hit a knee tap. He's very funky, kind of keep the hips moving, scrambling, gets in all these weird positions. Um, I, he loves going the old, like getting a scramble going, going the old school Peterson that, you know, really should only work on youth wrestlers. Uh, maybe, maybe, you know, some junior high wrestlers, but 
he's a guy that he'll he'll lose position to, to chase a submission. Uh, it, I've said this before that he's he'll find a way to lose, but that's also some of it is is him. Like he's he's not a great athlete. He's one of these guys that you know. If that div- I feel like if Tim Elliott, if you took his style of fighting and made him middleweight, he'd be a top ten guy. But because he's flyweight, uh, that that lack of athleticism in his age has always kind of put a ceiling onto what he can do. Uh, Mikhaev is a well-rounded fighter, high output striker. He, he's very technically sound. He sets up his attacks well uh, with feints, quick hands, very slip and rip style. Just slips out of range and, and tags his foes with counters. I like that he works the body. Uh, he'll get in the pocket and and he can he can really crack. Uh, and he's not even at the age where he's coming. You know, he's not in his power years yet. Uh, he he can get in the pocket. Uh, well, you know, I, he he likes to he'll close a distance with doing some crazy stuff. Like he hit Cody Durham with his incredibly timed knee. Uh, he's a very good wrestler. Uh, I'd say great. He's a great wrestling. He's supposed to be hips with with some good entries. Uh, I've seen, we've seen him do suplexes in the UFC, but he needs to control more and, and, and stop rushing subs. I mean, go back to like the Malcolm Gordon fight, rode really high. The uh, Fialo fight, he, he, you know, he lost positions, uh, chasing things. He is, you know, he he has a submission, so I don't want that to be buried. He's got five subs on his record, uh, but he slowed down in fights. But he slowed down greatly late in the fight against. Uh, Malcolm Gordon, even though he got a, a late submission. And then against Fialo, he kind of took the, the entire second round off uh, in their matchup so he can get enough cardio to win the third round, uh, which is obviously a big concern, especially at flyweight and against someone like Tim Elliott. This is a really fun matchup. I love this matchup. I think it's, it's going to be – I think we're going to have some really fun scrambles. You said, you know, what, Tim Elliott's a, you know, or or Mikhail's like a 4-1 to favorite over Elliott, almost 5-1 to favorite no, over no, Elliott. No, no, no. Minus 550. Oh, my God. Is, I'm sorry. I'm uh, he sorry. is the biggest favorite on the card. Like, t- Tim Elliott should not be, you know, no one should be a five to one, five and a half to one favorite over Tim Elliott. Like, anybody. Like, the best in the world. You know, guys like uh, Pantoja and <laughs> Moreno and Figueredo and uh, Manel Cobb. Like, I want to think. You ready for this? Good. Tim uh, Tim Elliott. Well, okay. Demetrius Johnson was minus nine hundred. Oh yeah. So okay, yeah, it, it was worse there, but yeah. But you're talking about top five fighter in, in the world in the middle of his title reign, and Tim Elliott wasn't on the run that he is now. Like, yeah, he he won the Ultimate Fighter show, but it wasn't like a guy. He proved that he's a borderline top fifteen ish guy. You know where I don't know where he ranks, but you know somewhere between like nine and. 17 or something, you know? So I have concern. Like I've, I'd throw Tim Elliott in a bet. If I'm willing, you know, take a gamble on, you know, in a fight, I would throw him in a DraftKings lineup. You know, I'm assuming he, you know, I don't play really DraftKings, but I'm assuming he's got, you know, cost you the least. I mean, I know, I understand how it works, but I'm still going to go. I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm always going to go with a 23 year old over the guy soon to be 37. Yeah. I think Elliot is going to use his cardio, and I think he's going to make this a hell of a fight. Uh, I just, I still, if it was a straight wrestling match, I would favor Makayev. On the feet, I favor Makayev, even though, even though Tim Elliott's tricky, you know, he's very tricky in his styles. It's hard to adjust. 
I think this is going to be one of those ones. Another one, Makai, if I would be like, it was three in a row, where it's, it's much harder than the line stay. And I'm going to see Makai wins. I'm going to see him win by split decision. Like, I, think it's, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a war. All right. I, I can't wait to see how it turns out, man, because we both have Makayev, but I think we see it playing out a little differently from each other. So, yeah, definitely excited for this one. It, if Makayev runs through him, then the sky's the limit, like, because no one runs through Tim Elliott. No. I mean, again, Demetrius Johnson was a minus 900 favorite, but he knew he was in a fight. Yeah, he lost the first round. Yeah. Which back then was <laughs> – no one did that to no, – uh, nobody. No one laid a finger on on. Yeah. Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. The five fight main card of UFC 294 opens up with a high stakes bantamweight matchup between Saeed Nurmagomedov and Muin Gafarov. Nurmagomedov, the 31 year old Dagestani, is 17 and three overall. He is six and two in the UFC. He is coming in off of a loss. He dropped a unanimous decision back in March to Jonathan Martinez, who fought just this past weekend at UFC Vegas 81. Uh, that loss continues to age well for Nurmagomedov. Prior to that, he had been on a four-fight win streak over increasingly stern competition, uh, including Douglas Silva, DeAndrade, and Saeed Yakub Kakramanov. So he will hope to get right back on the horse here, uh, regain that momentum, and with his last name and haircut being what they are, never too far away from contention. Uh, opposing him will be Gafarov, 27-year-old from Tajikistan, the other Tajik fighter in the UFC. He is 18-5 and five overall. He is 0-1 since joining the UFC as a veteran of the Contender Series, though he lost, lost uh, back on Season 5 to Chad N. Helliger. He is also the former LFA Bantamweight champ, but he debuted in the UFC back at the Cara France versus Albazi card in June and dropped a unanimous decision to John Castaneda. Uh, he was stepping up on short notice there. He was in for uh, Mateus Mendonca, but nonetheless came out on the wrong side of a unanimous decision. He's going to look to get back on track in his first regular full camp UFC fight, not favored to do so. Nurmagomedov uh, minus 230, Gafarov plus 185. Keith, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about Saeed Nurmagomedov just on our UFC Vegas 81 recap last night because we talked for a long time about Jonathan Martinez. Uh, just for those who didn't listen to the recap, one, shame on you, punch yourself in the face. Two, Keith, uh, I'm going to tip this one to you, but you offered up something that, said despite his last name being Nurmagomedov and I'll I'll hand it to you he's not nearly as good as a wrestler as you think he should be but he's good and I want to be very clear he can wrestle he's not Habib he's not Makachev he's not in, insert a whole bunch of other really high level wrestlers if his name was Saeed Jones yeah, yeah, he's a plus. I think I said if his last name was Smith, you'd be like, yeah, he can wrestle, but we wouldn't be like, you know, wouldn't be stunned when, you know, John Martinez, you know, stops a lot of his takedowns and stuff. If he now, had like, you know, some some cornrows or a green mohawk instead of just the Dagestani foreguard and let it yeah. go out, yeah, <laughs> that's right, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, so you know, I don't want to seem like I'm bashing him because he's still like, I don't know, top twenty guy in the weight. You know, so he's really good. He's well-rounded. That's the thing, you know, and, and 
Habib was never a really well-rounded fighter, but Makhachev is. Uh, but Makhachev, I, I still think, you know, Habib's an overall more dominant fighter, but that's when I go down that road. But he's he's a good striker. To me, like, he's that he's more that Russian striker that Alexander Slamenko, you know, they can wrestle, but really it's just striking. He, he moves really well. Um, he's technically sound. He likes to work from distance. He can explode when there is an opening. He, he, he kind of comes there's energy, and then when there's an opening, that's when he explodes. He whips his punches in there. He's got some, some good power. Uh, I'd say like plus power. He he does make the mistake of pulling his punches and leaning back limbs, which is really surprising that he has the pop that he does because his technique isn't um, – it, it, I call him technical sound, but more of a technical sound with his kicks than his, than his punches because uh, he's got a really big kicking game. Kicks to all areas of the body, great dexterity. He throws up – like he loves question mark kicks, gets them up there, very like karate style. Like I've compared him to Stephen Thompson before in that sense where he, he really – good at sneaking kicks uh, behind his combos. I'll throw like a punch combination and then like end it with a, with a high kick. Now he's a good wrestler. So I want to, I want to be, I want to stress that again. I'm not saying that he can't wrestle, but he's more of a funk style wrestler than, you know, explode through your hips. Uh, he has a submission threat. He took five subs on his record. Um, but a concern I've had with him and this is keeping him from being top 10, top five guy in the division was he gassed a little bit. Like he he gassed against Jonathan Martinez, and that likely cost him uh, the fight in a really close matchup. Now he moves over to Gaffroff. Gaffroff's going to bring the fight to him. He's a pressure fighter. I mean, he fights at an insane pace, throws nonstop punches. He really sits on his punches to draw some power. He wings his overhand shots. He's winging left hook. He throws a lot of hard kicks, uh, though he doesn't set him up, so he's open those counters. He throws some spinning attacks. Uh he he can wrestle. He he's he's good at one of these guys at like following his wild strikes into an entry. Um, he's a when you look at his resume, you think he'd be even better wrestler. But he's a two time world champion in combat sambo. Um, but he's you know he's <laughs> it's kind of the same way feeling about uh, Nurmagomedov. He's you know and I know and I, I've been accused of this before and and and. And then I can be hard on wrestlers because I'm such a wrestling fan that I am constantly watching like the best guys in the world. And sometimes I'm, it might be I, I, like, I might be a little unfair on some guys. So uh, I understand I do that, but uh, he's a good submission three. He's got seven subs. Um, I've, I've said it, his ground opponent is really good. I've, I've described it similar to Fedor Manico where he just whips, whips shots. And, um, you know, instead of your traditional, he just kind of, throws wildly and he just waits a couple in the to hit and he's got for his style i was so impressed with his cardio because he has a style you think it only lasts about two minutes but uh but he doesn't he he goes hard i love this fight I, i'm i'm a fan of gaffaroff uh his pressure and output can be a serious issue for namagamadoff you said that namagamadoff is another big favorite i think the odds are way off I, I think this line should be should be closer. I, I would put it more. I mean, I, I definitely would have Nurmagomedov as the favorite based on the competition he's faced, but I'd put him at like negative one eighty five. Uh, that said, so I I, I want to take the upset in this one because I'm such a fan of Gaffaroff's style. But he's so much fun. I still can't make the upset pick. I'm I'm not a Nurmagomedov guy, but this is too much of a step of competition 
too fast for a guy in Gafaroff this soon in his UFC career. I think it's a back and forth contest, but the kicks and the edge in wrestling has me leaning towards Namagamadoff. I'm going to say Namagamadoff by decision in a really close fight. I I like the the breakdown there and obviously you know I was kind of teeing everything up for you to point out that Nurmagomedov's wrestling maybe gets a little overstated because his name is Nurmagomedov but if he wins and spoiler I'm I'm picking him to win as well this might be a fight that makes his wrestling look like Khabib Nurmagomedov's uh I I love that you pointed out that despite Gafarov's background in Sambo it hasn't translated to dominant groundwork in MMA in the way, you know, that it has for some other uh, Sambo champs. And you need to look no further really than his losses. Uh, in, in his losses, it like he, when he lost to Chad and Helliger on the uh, contender series, he was able to get some takedowns, but other times, you know, even if he got the takedown, like, and Helliger was able to to threaten them down there. The, the ground was not a safe place for him. Uh, his, his two losses in one championship, like Bellingon was basically able to stay on the feet against him, and McLaren was able to get the better of him on the ground once they went there. Uh, just every time I see Gaffrow fight, I'm like, he he's better than his losses, but he, he's yet to prove it. And the short notice uh, debut against John Castaneda didn't help much because Castaneda beat him. And the whole time I'm going, man, I wonder if Gafarov wins this on a full camp. And so here he's, he's on a full camp and he's taking on a guy that's kind of a bad style matchup for him because Dramagomedov is a good wrestler and a good grappler. And he's a rangier striker who uses his, he will use his reach advantage to good advantage here. Uh, I have Nurmagomedov by decision in an entertaining fight here as well. But if Gafarov starts his UFC run 0-2, I haven't completely cut bait on him yet. I maintain that he's better than he looks, especially in his losses. And I may just be one of those he, he may become one of those guys that like he's like Jalga Jumagulov for me like yeah I know he's one in five in the UFC but I swear guys he really is a borderline top 15 talent it's just uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be yeah, I'm never, yeah. It, the, you know the last people left on Jumagulov's train are me and one of his wives the other one's like done with that <laughs> yeah, shit. a couple like, of other wives jumped off <laughs> <laughs> but yeah give me Nurmagomedov by decision here as well uh but unless he really really runs through Gafarov I maintain that Gafarov is a good fighter who just hasn't gotten his chance to shine yet. We head now to the middleweight division for a matchup between Ikram Aliskarov and short notice opponent Warley Alves. Aliskarov, the 30-year-old Dagestani, is 14-1 overall. He is 1-0 since joining the UFC out of the sixth season of Dana White's Contender Series. He debuted back in May at UFC 288, plunking Phil Hawes in like two minutes making a pretty sensational UFC debut, all things considered. He had been scheduled to face Nasruddin Imovov on Saturday in Abu Dhabi. Imovov withdrew basically about three weeks out from fight night and was replaced by Alves, the 32-year-old Brazilian who habitually competes at uh, welterweight, is 14-6 and six overall. 
He is eight and six since joining the UFC as the winner of the third season of the Ultimate Fighter Brazil. He won the show at middleweight just because that's what they had immediately dropped to welterweight. And as I say, he had gone eight and six. He was on a two fight losing streak is on a two fight losing streak. Uh, he got knocked out by Jeremiah Wells all the way back in June of 2021, missed a year and a half with a variety of uh, health issues, came back in January at UFC 283 and lost a split decision to Nicholas Dalby. Alves steps up here on short notice, up a weight class. The odds reflect that. Alves is plus 350, Aliskarov minus 450. Keith, I, <laughs> I, I would have asked you questions about Aliskarov's overall upside at middleweight like how quickly could this guy make a run into title contention if he trashes imovov or is imovov right back oh, there yeah. if, if imovov stops this red hot uh, prospect instead i'm like well how much can we learn about ikram aliskarov if he crumples up a yeah. shop-worn welterweight who's on like a one and three run yeah he crumples him into a little ball and tosses him halfway back to brazil i mean tell me how you Tell me how you see this fight uh, playing out. And assuming that you're taking Aliskarov, like what could he do that would impress you here? Like, what would you like to see? Yeah, it's it, he's really in a tough situation because like everything you said about Alves, Alves, he's so inconsistent. Like there's, there's times he looks really good, but then there's like the other times that he just looks like a shot fighter. Like there's no in between on him. He's not, it was not, <laughs> you know, um, he he he's a good athlete still. He moves well, um, but he is you know he hangs his hands really low. Uh, his hands aren't the quickest. Uh, he, he, you know, he's a tough test. Like he'll rip the body. Uh, he has good power. He's constantly looking to land the perfect punch though. Like he's trying to end the fight with one shot. Uh, mean calf kicks. I mean, go back to like Sergio Moraes fight and the Munar Lazes. Lazes is the fight that he looked really good in. You know, he, mm -hmm. he beat him up with with light kicks. He does well to use, you know, his strong and, and you know, overpower, you know, use his strength and overpower his, his opponent in the clinch. Uh, he's a really good grappler, but he struggles to get the fight to the ground because he isn't a wrestler. Um, he's a jujitsu guy. You know, he, and even in times like against Nick Dolly, he wasn't even trying to get the fight to the ground, which is really surprising based on who he's going against. And, and that's been one of Dolby's weaknesses. Now, he's a BJJ black belt. If I hit the ground, he's slick. He's got some slick back takes. Uh, he's got some mean ground and pound. But he's not, you know, he's not like he's a guy who has some credentials in BJJ. But he looks like he got submitted by Randy Brown. So uh, I'm also really worried about his about his durability. I mean, Jeremiah Wells starts him, though. That's what Jeremiah Wells does. And uh, I, I don't think he can go hard 50 minutes. Like he slowed down against Dalby. I mean, he really gassed and like did going back a little while, but against like James Kraus, Alex Garoff. I mean. He, he looks good. I mean, on the feet, he's a good boxer. He likes to get in the pocket, land some power shots, tight inside hooks, short, powerful shots. I mean, he's got serious, serious power. I mean, he knocked out Phil Hawes. He still has a lot of defensive issues. He lacks head movements, uh, being the biggest one. I like his kicking game, a lot of teep kicks, uh, though he doesn't really check leg kicks. He's a very good wrestler, nice reactionary double, good top game. He has a submission threat. A uh, bit of like a Kimura specialist. He looks for that a lot. Uh, very hard to take down. I mean, he fought Shemayev and was stopping takedowns with Shemayev. He was doing really well before Shemayev beat him uh, and starched him. Uh, th this just feels like a, you know, pass to the guard moment. Like, he was supposed to have a big test in Imovov, and, and that didn't fell through, and so they went with the you know, next best thing. Okay, give him a veteran. 
I think Alex Garoff is better than Alves everywhere, especially at this point of their careers. Uh, I don't trust Alves' chin at all. I think Alex Garoff catches him. I think he puts him out early. Um, you know, I'll just say first, but I'll say second round. I'll say he knocks out Wiley Alves in the second round. I don't have much to add to that. I'm I'm sad that Imovov fell off early enough that I didn't even start doing tape study for them because I'd almost rather have been forced to invest the time, you know, to to analyze that fight even if it fell off. Because here, yeah, I I just pivot straight to again my usual question when there's a favorite this big and the things that Alves does well, even if he is in as good a physical condition as he could be at this point in his career just don't line up well with Aliskarov. you mentioned on the feet his best weapon is his leg kicks which unsurprising he's been a pedro hezo disciple for quite a few years now and i do like that he'll go to work at somebody on the the with leg kicks and then once they start reacting to those he'll use it to open up to you know go to the body with kicks or go upstairs with punches but that's not stuff that's going to work on ikram Aliskarov. Like he's going to get in like one leg kick before Aliskarov like clinches with him and throws him on the ground. Uh, on the ground, you mentioned he's a good grappler. He's a very good Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist. But if he goes to the ground with Aliskarov, I think it's because going to be because Aliskarov put him there and it's going to be the time, place, and landing of Aliskarov's choosing. That makes the BJJ guy's job a lot harder. Yeah, I just don't, I don't see any open avenues to victory here. And when you add to that the fact that Alves is going to be substantially smaller and Eve, and hasn't shown good durability or, or cardio recently, yeah, this is going to be uh, a wiping. You had Aliskarov by second round TKO? I'm not going to be different just for the sake of being different. I'm going to say it's a second round TKO form as well. Probably ground and pound. Yeah. Just to answer the question, like what's Al's best chance of victory? You know, I really see only two avenues. Like I don't see him winning a decision. He either, he still has some power. Maybe he catches a, lands the perfect shot in which obviously everyone has the, the haymaker shot, but like, he's one of the guys he's a little more likely. And, I don't like the fight hits the ground. I don't see him like subbing him, but I can see him like catching a sub in a, in a transition. Like, uh, you know, I was scared if goes for a takedown and he just jumps on the guillotine. Mm-hmm. Sure. But like the likeliness of him winning a decision, I think is very, very slim. A- extremely, especially considering that again, he's almost certain to be the more tired guy in the third round. Yeah. Third from the top at UFC 294 is a, light heavyweight matchup between Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker. Ankalaev, the 31-year-old Dagestani, is 17-1-1 overall. He is 9-1-1 since joining the UFC about five and a half years ago. He lost his UFC debut to Paul Craig with the original Paul fucking Craig buzzer beater triangle choke, then rattled off nine straight wins to make it all the way to a uh, title fight against Jan Blachowicz. That one ended in a controversial split draw. The UFC light heavyweight title remained vacant. In the wake of that draw, Ankalaev was pretty upset. Said some things he clearly 
didn't mean in hindsight about maybe never fighting in the UFC again or never fighting in the States again or never fighting again. At any rate, he took a deep breath, got over it. He returns to action here uh, 10 and a half months later against Walker. Uh, Walker, 31-year-old Brazilian by way of Scotland, by way of Ireland, uh, is 21-7 and overall. He is 7-4 and since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series. It has been a streaky and inconsistent run, to say the least, but he is on a three-fight win streak right now, dating back a little over a year. Since his loss to subsequent champion Jamal Hill uh, last February, he has a first-round submission of Iwan Kudalaba, a first-round knockout of Craig in their rematch, and a one-sided decision over Anthony Smith uh, in May at UFC on ABC, Rosenstrike versus Almeida. Walker looking for his fourth win in a row. Ankalaev looking to get back in the win column. Ankalaev is a comfortable favorite. He's minus 360. Walker plus 270. Keith? Uh, I mean, who you got in this one? <laughs> I don't know if I want to take Ankalaev after he said he's not going to fight in the UFC anymore. It's like, he, he, he reminds me of, like, I have a bunch of kids that are in my neighborhood. Like, they're like this, like, that's like one of my favorite things in the neighborhood. Like, there's five families all right here, and all the kids always play with each other and cook us together. It's, it's actually a really nice neighborhood. <laughs> like, the times I've heard the kids, like, fighting, and then, like, They'll be like, like my eight-year-old son and like the eight-year-old boy across the street. Be like, I'm never playing with you again. And they like storm off. <laughs> ten minutes later, they, ten minutes later, they're playing. Yeah, <laughs> take a life. I'm never, never coming here again. And then, and then he, then he comes back. <laughs> you know. Uh, all right. Um, <sighs> well, I'll start with Johnny Walker. I mean, he's, he's, he's this massive heavyweight. He's fantastic athlete you know as good of an athlete there is in in the division very explosive he he can be extremely aggressive but lately he's been a lot more controlled um you know when he's when he's fighting saving some of his energy and it's it's made him a better fighter now is it more pleasing to watch no uh, but uh you know when he's throwing his hands he's got serious serious power uh but he's being aggressive, wild man. He loves spinning attacks, flying knees, all, all all this stuff that we love. But he came to the point where he realized that he could. It was kind of that like Justin Gaethje moment, where it's like, yeah, that's all entertaining, and you know, Michelle Payne, the same thing. But I can actually be a contender if I slowed everything down and just fought to actually win <laughs> instead of entertaining. Uh, now he's he's been cracked before. I mean, I always think of that that knockout Jamal Hill hit him with, where he, you know, like historically like how he fell was like historically bad i mean Corey anderson blasted him really bad uh, he's he's a weak offensive wrestler and and defensive wrestler i mean he he tries to stop takedowns very travis brown style where he's instead of sprawling he just kind of trying to lean uh you know the downward elbows which obviously has some effect based on his size uh, and if he's on top, he has like clubbing ground and pound, just kind of like punches through people's guard. Uh, he did sub Ian Iwan Kutalaba, but he was losing that fight. He was taken down. Um, he gassed against Nikita Krylov, but to his credit, he he was much better in his in his cardio against Anthony Smith. Uh, Anklife, he's a really 
big guy for the weight class. This this is the first time though he's not going to be the bigger guy. Nope. Uh, he's a southpaw. He's he's very technical. Uh, he marches down his foe with similar to what like Sean Strickland does. Though he he's a he's a point fighter. He and he doesn't have the same output that Strickland has. Um, I just I just mean like the way of like slowly taking ground. I should we should have said uh, fantastic jab. Uh, he sets up his power shots behind his jab. Uh, he does defensively keep his chin a little too high for my liking for a guy who's really more of a technical striker. I'm surprised by that. Uh, I love his kicking, though. Nice teep kicks, great push kicks. Uh, I mean, you go back to the EO and Kutalaba fight, you see that those, like blazing fast high kicks. So great calf kicks. Now, he needs to, to, to learn how to check kicks because in his last fight, Yabalovas had real success kicking his legs. Um, but... He's an intelligent fighter. They kill close the distance. He'll grind in the clinch. He's he will use his size to win the clinch, and he has zero issue like like grinding the clinch and getting booed. He doesn't care about entertaining. He's the complete opposite of like early Johnny Walker was. Uh, he's good at like getting the clinch, using his using his head to kind of uh, put himself in you know grind and use the position and wear on him. Uh, he will drop down on the legs. Good top control. Uh, smothers his opponent. He has really strong takedown offense. We try to take him down, but he's not much of a submission threat. Now, uh, I'm very confident in Kalaev here. I mean, I mean, I agree with the betting lines. You know, um, he he's a better technical striker. He is a better wrestler. I think he weathers the early storm from Walker and just jazz him up in this like ho hum type fight. Give me a Kaliyah by decision. Yeah, I, if if I sent this fight over to you with a question, it would have been: Does it look like a Magomed and Kaliyah fight or a Johnny Walker fight? And you kind of answered it there. Yeah, because even the new mellower Johnny Walker, and I agree that he's mellowed kind of like Michelle Pereira. They very obvious analog between the two, where they were complete wild men, <laughs> lost some fights as a direct result of that wildness. And since then, they've toned it down just enough. They're still top echelon, most aggressive guys in their divisions, but it's a little more reasonable now. Even so, like even the new Johnny Walker, the contrast with Ankalaev, who is one of the more... One of the more conservative fighters in the division, I think. He's a... a you know, obviously he very famously has that last second loss to Paul Craig. But other than that, his game is sort of built to avoid situations like that at all costs. He plays straight to his strengths. He does not seem to give a solitary crap whether his wins are entertaining or not. We're talking about a guy that has two wins by head kick in his first five UFC fights. And then, including, I mean, the man, the one he put down Dalsha with, like the front kick where he just put the ball of his foot like right on his jaw was a work of art, but he's also perfectly happy to just put on the most grueling, grinding clinch fest against the cage. I imagine he's going to go for as much of that as possible against Walker. Walker, when he is pressed to the cage, doesn't have much of a game plan. It all works off of him just leveraging his incredible size and strength. Like his offense is effective in clinches against offense just because he's so big and it's so easy for him to knee people in the chest uh, and even the jaw. 
you mentioned his takedown defense is more trying to knock somebody out on, on the way down. I think Ankalaev's patience and relative size, like Walker's bigger than Ankalaev, but it's going to be a lot closer than it is in the in the average Johnny Walker fight. I think it's going to frustrate Walker, and I think it's going to wear Walker down. Walker, generally speaking, has had decent cardio since his strategic adjustments, but not like Ankalaev-type cardio. Uh, yeah, I've got Ankalaev here as well. Walker is dangerous. He could certainly plunk Ankalaev with something. There's always the chance that a couple of those Travis Brown elbows or some kind of hammer fists during a takedown attempt, legal or not, you know, shout out Ryan Spann, actually put Ankalaev in trouble. But that just seems like the outside chance. This is going to be a Magomed Ankalaev fight. Give me Ankalaev to frustrate Walker in the clinch, stifle his long kicking offense by just staying stuck to him for 15 minutes, maybe get a couple of opportune takedowns where Walker's able to get back up by kind of scooting back to the fence and standing back up, but it eats up two minutes of a round where he's definitely losing. Yeah, just give me Walker to drop a unanimous decision here in a fight that takes a little bit of air out of the arena before we get on to the real attractions. That brings us to the co-main event of UFC 294 on Saturday in Abu Dhabi. It is a middleweight matchup that we have now been told is explicitly a title eliminator between former welterweight champ Kamaru Usman and uber prospect Hamzat Shemaev. Keith gave a little look of surprise there. That was announced within the last 24 hours of when we're recording. That's just, that's weekend news. Uh, let's talk about Usman first. 36-year-old Nigerian by way of uh, now South Florida is 20-3 and three overall. He is 15 and two since joining the UFC uh, out of the 21st season of the Ultimate Fighter. He, of course, very famously won his first 15 fights in the UFC, minting himself, at least in the argument for the greatest welterweight of all time, at least on the long list, if not the short list, for the most accomplished fighters of all time, period, before running into Leon Edwards, uh, suffering back-to-back -back losses to Edwards last August at UFC 288 by fifth round head kick in a fight he had been winning handily. And then in March in their rematch, losing by majority decision in a fight which seemed much more conventionally to be a win uh, for Edwards. Usman steps in here on short notice for Paula Costa, whom I'll talk about more in just a second, to face Shimaev. 29-year-old Chechen by way of Sweden is a perfect 12-0 as a professional. He is a perfect 6-0 since joining the UFC about three and a half years ago. 6-0 uh, in the UFC. He is 3-0 above welterweight. Let's put it that way. He has uh, three fights at welterweight, two planned middleweight fights, and then, of course, his most recent uh, octagon appearance was at UFC 277 last September, where he single-handedly flipped the card on its head by blowing weight by nine pounds, uh, dropping out of a scheduled matchup with Nate Diaz, getting Kevin Holland, again, on one day's notice. He ran right through Holland, seemed unrepentant about the weight miss, has been on the shelf ever since then. Uh, here he comes back with a chance to probably 
redeem himself in the eyes of the notoriously short-memoried MMA fan community. He had been scheduled, as I said, to fight Costa. Costa dropped out officially on the 11th, so uh, Usman comes in on 10 days' notice. Chemaev is a comfortable favorite. He's minus 260. Usman is plus 210. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about this one first. First, a moment for Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa is... He's... I think he may be the UFC's now all-time greatest supplier of unintentional comedy. Yeah. There are times when he when uh, he's trying to be funny yeah, yeah. and it doesn't work, and there are times when he's just kind of being regular, and it is hilarious. And here, just on the 9th of October, Sherdog gets an exclusive through Marcelo Alonso where we post a picture of him with a huge blown up staff elbow saying, Hey, I had surgery pretty recently for staff, but I'm totally, I'm totally fighting at, uh, at UFC 294. Two days later on the 11th, he's out. We all knew he was going to be out. Why blow up your own spot that way, Paula? You're, he is, he's is something. He's either the, the smartest guy or the dumbest guy in the UFC, or he may just flip a coin each morning to decide what he wants to be. <laughs> he might not even know he's out. <laughs> Like he's the, the, I fought Israel Adesanya with a red wine hangover. I fired Walid smile. And now my girlfriend's going to be my manager. He's really, he's Mike Perry with slightly worse English. Yeah. There's, there's one person I would throw in there. Who's, who's really funny without intentionally being that might give Paulo Costa a run for his money, and, and and that would be Tito Ortiz. Tito is the only other one I can think of. Where, Tito gets some freaking. Yeah. Being, uh, shout out to uh, uh, my old my boy Kyle from the Loudmouth MMA. Uh, we did a lot of shows. We used to <laughs> message each other with just stupid shit. Tito Ortiz would say to each other. So um, great, the great Kyle Steele over there. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's no, it's totally the same thing because Tito was always a terrible trash talker when he tried to say cool shit, it fell flat, but he would just unintentionally, like, you're the greatest light heavyweight on the night. I cracked my C-47 <laughs> vertebrae. I just, that stuff. I, I, I still think my favorite one is when he said, uh, you know, like why he should, I don't know who he's going to fight. And he was talking about, it, I think it was, it must have been a Chuck Liddell. It was a rematch. And it was like, well, I'm bigger now. I'm stronger now. I'm younger. <laughs> like, <laughs> younger. <laughs> What what a, what a treasure! Like his like, Tito's greatest moment of trash talk didn't involve any words. His greatest moment of trash talk was when Shamrock tried to cut a promo yeah, on him, and he just laughed. Wild. And Shamrock got so mad he threw the chair. Yeah. Like that was the perfect do that, Tito. Don't say any words. Yeah. Just <laughs> let let Ken Shamrock show his ass, and then you laugh. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Tito just needed. The, the who the fuck is this guy card from, yeah. from Connor about 15 years before. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, if this fight had been booked a year ago, like yeah. right after the Holland fight, right after the first Usman Edwards fight, say they booked this at 185 pounds last December, I'm picking Usman. Usman's the favorite too. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usman is the favorite going into it. If, yeah. if they fight then now he's a three to one on the dog almost almost, almost a three to one is minus 260 
And because, again, a year ago, okay, Usman, he was Kamaru Usman, and then he ran into a head kick for the ages. And that's, you know, that's a bad loss, but he's still Kamaru Usman. And Shemaev, well, okay, Shemaev, blue weight, ran through Holland, who, yeah, Shemaev is a superior fighter anyway, but even in the specifics of the style matchup, terrible style matchup for uh, for Holland. I, w- I would have picked Usman over Chimaev a year ago. What turns all this on a dime for me is the second Usman Edwards fight, where Usman all of a sudden overnight looked old. The the guys hobbling around during fight week were like we're getting we're getting word from uh, where was that one? Oh, it was in it was in London. We're we're getting word from the ground during fight week that Usman is like walking backwards upstairs. His knees yeah. are so bad, and then. And that could all just be art of war disinformation stuff, except in the cage, all of a sudden he's tentative. All of a sudden the takedowns aren't there. The footwork isn't quite there. He's just inert. He gets outworked by Edwards. He gets outstruck and out wrestled for five rounds. Old Usman has harder sledding against Shemaev. Because otherwise, yeah, Hamzat Shemaev is a titanic welterweight was a titanic welterweight now he's just a decent sized middleweight but so was usman that was the crazy thing for the longest time like how does usman cut this much weight wrestle this hard push this kind of pace and still have five rounds of cardio it seemed inhuman and even though shamayev is taller than usman usman i won't be surprised if usman has the the range advantage in the you know, has the range advantage in the cage on Saturday. So my thought, again, before the second Edwards fight would have been Shemaev is incredibly explosive. He hits with a ton of power, but he's also pretty undisciplined as a striker. He still kind of depends on just overwhelming people who are scared and can't deal with the speed and with the power. And I could see Usman just feeding him that nasty jab all night. I could see Shemaev not having an easy time getting Usman down to the canvas. I could see Usman taking Shemaev down. All that kind of goes by the wayside here. I don't know what kind of physical condition Usman's going to be in. And that's just talking about his health. And then talking about, he steps in here. He did not have another fight scheduled. I'm right on that, right? He didn't, he was just on the shelf. So. I don't know personally whether he was just in kind of general rehab, get feeling better mode. I don't know if he was out with Nate Diaz on a boat in the, you know, off of Tijuana drinking tequila. I I don't know. My guess would be that Usman is the kind of guy who's in pretty damn good shape all the time. But I'm not dead sure he's going to be better physically than he was against Edwards. And if he is better, he's still now halfway to 37. I can't imagine him being better than he was for the first Edwards fight. Whereas Shemaev, he's still just 29 years old. He's had a full year off and he's at a camp that all of a sudden is very busy with UFC level fighters. I mean, we we've seen him in corners in UFC and Bellator numerous times uh, over the last year. I have the feeling that Shemaev is probably going to be at least as sharp and at least as strong. 
as he was in his last fight. He's coming into a fight that he has known from the beginning was going to be at 185 pounds. Yeah, I've, I've got Shemaev in, in this one. A lot of Usman's, like the danger he presents, starts from his wrestling, comes from the threat that he might try to take you down. Uh, certainly... It never entered into the realm of anyone's possibility that his opponents were going to be taking him down until very recently. I think Shamayev is getting Usman easily the best name he's fought so far at just the right time. I think this is going to be kind of his time to shine. I wouldn't be surprised if we see things happen to Kamaru Usman on Saturday that we've never seen before. I could see Usman doing fantastic with his defensive wrestling for X number of rounds, say one, two, three rounds, and be like, wow, the wrestling's really been a push here. Like, the guys are 0-2 and 0-2 and and in takedowns, and then Shemaev gets in on his hips the right way, and Usman goes for a ride in a way we've never seen before. Uh, from there, Usman is generally well capable of taking himself on, taking care of himself on the ground, but we, how many times have we seen Kamar Usman work from bottom position from a guy that had ground and pound and submissions? Like, um, never. <laughs> yeah, done ever, let alone someone who's at least as strong as he is. I mean, like, isn't, isn't Leon Edwards the only person to officially take him down? I believe so, yeah. So, Colby Covington did take oh, him no, down. Yeah, sorry, yeah, Colby Covington. They, no, no, they didn't give Covington the official takedown. Which oh, is, and right, and, and DC was like had this whole big argument like, about it. It's yeah, like, like that's a takedown, but any, regardless. Yeah, DC, you know enough about MMA and wrestling not to go down this route. Don't Don't do it. You should be the one correcting people on this. Anyway, uh, well, I mean, yeah, man, I, I, I've got Shemayev in this one. I've got him big time. I mean, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about Shemayev as a future contender slash champion at, oh, yeah. at, at middleweight. I mean, when he makes it to the cage, he's blown through just about everybody's face. Gilbert Burns gave him a fight. And that's about the best you can say for his UFC run so far. I, again, Usman just a year, year and a half, two years ago, at the very least gives him the fight of his life. And again, off the cuff, I probably would have picked him. But here, I can't be confident that that's the Kamaru Usman we get. I think uh, Shamayev makes a statement here. Uh, Give me Shamayev. I'm going to say third round submission and it's a mercy tap submission where Usman's been down on the canvas probably ended one of the first two rounds in survival mode at the horn and in the third round maybe he just goes down too early Shemaev has too much time to work pounds on him taps him out with a rear naked choke dominant work for uh Hamza Shemaev yeah um w- one question mark I have about this fight is you know being that it's a three-round fight it's a co-main event would have Usman have taken it if it was a five-round fight Obviously, we don't know. And but. well, and for all we know, it was presented. Would you rather have a three or five round fight? And yeah, it was like three. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, we don't know if it was presented or anything like yeah. that. But I just, just, just curious. I like. I wish I knew that. Um, it, you, you mentioned Shemayev. You said, yeah, you know, optimistic of you know him could make a title run or anything. Like this, if if he fought Sean Strickland right now. You know, that fight got booked. Wouldn't he be the favorite? Yes. Even though Strickland just beat Izzy Adesanya and beat him. Did he, he won all five rounds, didn't he? Yeah. He won all yeah, five, he, yeah. He, 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 won, him. He, he won all five rounds, and you know what? 
there's a chance Shamayev would have been favored over Adesanya as well. Yeah, there is. There is. I just, I just, I just I'm saying like that's how it's funny. Um, th- this is a fantastic fight. I think it's it's much better than the Polo Costa fight. It, um, it, you know, the only better option would have been if they called a bow nickel. But well, I'm glad that Shamayev might actually get a chance to pose with the belt for a couple pictures before the bow nickel era starts. <laughs> Uh, so obviously I'm, I'm joking, but I'll say this about Kamara Usman. I mean, I do think the odds are, are, you know, I have a lot of concerns about Kamara Usman like you have. And that said, like the odds are extremely disrespectful. You know, you take his last two fights, obviously they're both losses, but he was what a minute and a half, two minutes away from beating Leon Edwards the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, was in winning. a way that in a way that Edwards never would have gotten a rematch. No, no. Yeah. And then in the rematch, I, I just went there and made decisions, and there was 32 scorecards. And all the stuff you said was true. And two got two media members still scored the fight for Kamara Usman. And I know that's not good, a two out of 32. I understand that, but 11 of them scored a draw. One of the official scores scored at a draw. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 19 went for Edwards. So, you know, the majority is saying Edwards won or at least the, I think he got it. Didn't he get a point deducted? I can't remember. He did something, right? He got a deducted. Right? Am I, am give, me, I, give me just a sec. Yeah, he got a point deducted. I can't remember. I think he got the cage or something or, or he did something. I can't remember. I apologize for not, not remembering. Yeah, uh, th- third, third, uh, third round. Edwards grabbed the, the fence too many times trying to stop a takedown, so and, ended up being 10-8 round for Usman. Yeah, Usman gets a takedown. Who knows what happens? But my, my point is, especially, you know, it's Kamaru Usman. That's his game. You know, even – I'm not saying he stops him, but maybe he wears on him enough and then changes the, the rest of the fight. The point is, we're – and I understand. I'm, I'm not I'm not getting on you, but just the general public and, and the odds and everything is dogging Kamaru Usman, and he was – just drew with, you know, a lot of people think, you know, he, he won a scorecard against the current champion. He, a lot of people thought he should have been a draw. It's, some people thought he should have won. <laughs> so, um, it, uh, one thing about that I don't think would be an issue for Kamaru Usman is, is moving up to middleweight. Like, being undersized will not be an issue. I mean, he's, he's a big guy. It, it might be something that prolongs his career a little bit. He's a long and lengthy guy. A concern I have, and you you hit this, and again, it's it's a concern I have to a scale. It's not like wow, it's completely faded. But if he was a, you know, if this was a matting rating, you know, I, I don't know, I don't play the UFC game, but I'm assuming they have ratings. Mm-hmm. If in his prime he was a 98, maybe it's a 92 now. So I'm a little concerned in these areas. But it's, yeah. he's still one of the best in the world who, if he won the title, especially at welterweight again, they wouldn't shock me. No. If, if, let me ask you this question. If Kamara Usman fought Sean Strickland, we talked about Shabayev, who would be the favorite? Probably Strickland, like, but, but not by much. Yeah. Very close. Yeah. Against the current champion in the weight class he's moving up to. So, yeah. Mike. I, I mean, as much as we're arguing that Usman may have been may have been fading. He may he's still not at you're going to beat me with just a jab territory. Yeah, exactly. 
so the one concern I have about him is he used to be a big volume guy on the feet. Mm. And that has really lowered in, in back-to-back fights against Leon Edwards. Even the one that he was winning, his output wasn't really insane. Now, he uses his long arm well to keep his opponents kind of at the end of his strikes. He works himself, works behind one of the best jabs in the game. Uh, his straight right is really good. He's really good at winging his power shots. Uh, going to the body has been like a, would be a really wise decision of Usman to do against Shamayev because it's been a really big weapon for him. And we've seen Shamayev, like, yeah, the it was a really high pace against Gilberts, but we just see him slow down a little bit. He does have big power, and I I expected to go even bigger at middleweight because you look at Usman, you knew he was cutting a lot of weight. Uh, I mean, he he knocked out Kobe Covington, he knocked out Gilbert Burns. I mean, his incredible walk off knockout of uh, Jorge Masvidal in their rematch. Uh, he still got some good like you know teep kicks. I'm concerned about his durability. I mean, he's been in so many wars. He's been in so many 25 minute fights. He's 36, but, you know, we talked about guys, you know, you, we talked about Charles Oliveira being old for his age. I mean, he's an old 36. Yeah. Uh, he's had tons of injuries. Um, even even guys that, you know, Edwards hurt him a little bit, but Kobe Covington buckled him a couple of times. And Kobe Covington is not known. I mean, say what you want about Kobe. He's not known for his punching power. No, and, and Co- Covington – it feels like hit him like 300 times between their two fights. Which you wonder what have that done and the, the weight cutting and, and also the years of wrestling that, that drains on your body. Mm-hmm. Now he's extremely strong and he, and he uses really well in the grappling department. Um, I, I, I always go to the example. It's been my nose for a while. When you go when he fought RDA and RDA was going for Kamora and he just easily just ripped his arm out. Like <laughs> He did the, the yeah. worst technique and just was like, I'm strong with you. I'm just going like to pick you up with my, <laughs> the one arm you're attacking. Uh, in the grappling, he, he has the, he has a very like uses those arms well. He he doesn't he'll shoot and drive through the hips, but he's more likely to like get in close and just snatch single you. Yep. Uh, he's also good at catching kicks. I mean, did it to Masvidal when he threw kicks. If he doesn't get you down, he would push you against the cage and smother you there. And it, I mean, it's really his best position, just being chest to chest. Uh, you know, we, we've said it before. I've described it as this must be being held to be pushed against the cage with a really strong guy like Usman, just punching you in the ribs over and over again. Uh, and that's what he did to RDA. That's what he did to Tyron Woodley. Dude, let me interject real quick. Masvidal really com- criticized slash complained slash made fun of Usman for spending so much time in their first fight, just pressing him into the cage and stomping on his feet. And a lot of fans, I guess, hopefully unthinkingly went along with that. Dude, if you thought that was lame, have somebody do that to you sometime yeah. for yeah. 30 seconds. What, what, what Masvidal was doing was when in a rematch, I don't want to be in that position. I'll talk shit and make it seem like uh, it's boring when that sucked. And I, I couldn't do anything offensively. He was hitting me. It was hurting me and uh, not hurting enough to finish me, but hurting me enough to, uh, you know, I'm going to feel the rest of the week and I'm going to lose the fight on top of it. Yeah. So, um, one thing that Usman also been successful in his wrestling is is a mindset where it, it, he isn't necessarily about getting the opponent down in his first place. It's more about getting into a position where he can have an advantage and never let you rest and frustrate you when he does get you down. And when you get up to your feet, he pops you right back down a second time and a third time. The problem is you go back to his fight with Edwards, that wasn't there. 
he struggled. Now, again, he got the third round was the, the best round for him, and he grabbed the cage, and who knows. Um, it just makes me wonder if he can still compete at a high level of wrestling. Now, when he gets on top, he's he's good, good top control, um, good at working the guy up to his feet, knowing that just, you know, hold on single, beat him up as he gets up to his feet, stomp on his foot, elbow him, hit him with your shoulder, just keep making him, hit him in every position and making him work. Um, and he's always had one of the best cardios. And, and even though he's been out, I mean, I, I'd be surprised he gassed. You know, I don't know what his training camp or anything like, but if he gassed over 15 minutes. Now, Shemayev, the thing that stands out to me is just how well-rounded. I mean, he's he's you now back up to middleweight, but he's he, he's a big middleweight, and, which is ironic because I think he used to be a welterweight. I've said this before about him and his, the way he strikes. He's fearless. He just walks down his opponents. I mean, you, you watch how he just fought Gilbert Burns, just walked him right down. Uh, he throws hard, fast shots straight down the pipe. He has massive power. Um, he he threw Gilbert Burns. He threw Reese McKee like a child. Incredible wrestler. Really fast entries. Chains takedown attempts together so well. I love how he like got a takedown on and Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland was like Graham Durrell, he just rolled with it, followed the hips, uh, smothering top control. He he he's like a beam in that that Dagestani handcuff. He grabs that and just. Slowly works the position and then grind and pound you out. Uh, he's got some. He's got a big submission game that he doesn't get talked about. He's got five subs. I mean, Holland, who's not a bad grappler himself, and in a sick Darce choke, which he adjusted like eight times in the fight. Oh, I, I want to warn the people who are writing Usman off because of you know we've we've done that with guys. We we, we start doing the eulogy. And not realizing, like, no, he's just the second best guy in the world. I mean, we did it with Max Holloway. Like, I mean, you know, Max Holloway is going against, like, Calvin Cater. And we're like, oh, yeah, he's all done. He's done being a top guy. And we, I was saying, we as in the entire MMA community. And I'm not, I'm not talking about every individual person. I mean, just a general consensus. That said, like, I'm feeling pretty confident in have too. He's fast. He's big. He hits hard. He's a super good wrestler. And he's only 29 years old. My issue is the thing is that Usman does so well as grind, mentally break his opponents. And at 36, I don't know if he can. It has – Usman always – you know, not, 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 not the way he strikes, but the way he wrestled. The way um, – he kind of reminded me of a like a re- more skilled Matt Hughes in where on paper he's not the greatest wrestler. I mean, I know Matt Hughes was like a four-time All-American, so I'm not – Obviously, that's incredible. But, but you know what I mean? Like, wasn't Olympic caliber, wasn't you know, on the world team, wasn't, you know, what DC did. But he understood Emory wrestling, and he understood how to crush your spirit. But unfortunately, like Hughes, that eventually faded, and it faded fast. Yeah. And I just think she might, might be too fast for him. And I think... I'm with you. Like you said, you think we're going to see Usman in a position we've never seen him before. I mean, obviously, Leon Edwards did that with a high kick, but I think we get another one of those holy shit moments. I think Shemayev starches him. I'm going to say he does it. I'm going to say he does it in the second round. I'm going to say I'm going to say the durability of Usman is not there anymore, and I say Shemayev knocks him out in the second round. All right. I mean, last question. Say Usman has 
a great first round. Like he's clearly watched the tape, sure. takes it to Shemaev, maybe shakes off a Shemaev takedown and ends up on top. Like spins, takes his back. Shemaev's in trouble. Usman won the first round. Is Shemaev shook at the end of that round? He like, could be. He could be because he's never lost a round. Even against Gilbert Burns, um, he, he might have lost a round. I don't, I don't remember. I mean, you're going back a while, but it, it was very – I remember him coming out early stop, and, you know. And, <laughs> He could be. He could, he could be. That's a good question. Um, and the one concern I have is Usman outmuscles people. I don't know if he can outmuscle Shemaev. That's and, very and, fair. And if he can, can he do it for long periods of time? Yeah. Like he might be able to outmuscle him for a minute against the cage, but can he do it for three minutes of the round? Because in those situations, normally the other guy is the one getting tired faster because it's but, hard for a welterweight just to even – that is the avenue of victory of him. If he can slow Shemayev down, turn it into a you know a chest versus you know chest upper body, slapping titties kind of thing, grind on him, foot stomp him, like he could win. Frustrate. He could win a fight like that. Yeah. Frustrate and see if he makes a mistake. Yeah, I mean for a fight that we're both pretty comfortable with one guy winning and that guy's a two and a half to one favorite, I can't wait to see this. So but if he beats Shemayev, if he beats Shemayev after we, we, we kind of writing him off and putting eulogy, if he beats Shemayev, he's I'm fighting for a title next. Up, yeah, and I'm probably picking him over Strickland. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's the crazy world of it. It's like one extreme to the other. Either you're fighting for the title and you're the next best thing in the division, or you're done. <laughs> like no middle ground. That's it. With that, we come to the main event of UFC 294. A rematch for the UFC lightweight title between reigning champ Islam Makhachev and reigning featherweight champ Alexander Volkanovsky, who made his first unsuccessful attempt to become a two-division champ back at UFC 284 in February. Makachev, of course, had been scheduled to rematch Charles Oliveira, the man from whom he took the title. Oliveira was forced out of the fight on October 10th, so just 11 days' notice. The former featherweight champ steps up. We've talked exhaustively about it during the intro. Just his balls can barely make featherweight by themselves. But here we have the rematch. Uh, Makachev, 31 years old, 24-1 and overall, 13-1 and in the UFC. He is, of course, the lightweight champ. He's won 12 fights in a row. Volkanovski, 35-year-old Australian, 26-2 and overall. He now is also 13-1 and one in the UFC. Unlike Makachev, he has fought since their first meeting. They fought in February. Makachev has been on the shelf ever since. Volkanovski came back in July facing uh, challenger Yair Rodriguez, put him away in the third round in a fantastic, consummate performance against one of the most dangerous offensive fighters in the entire sport. So Volkanovski has that little bit of momentum coming into this fight. The odds here... Unsurprisingly, favor Makachev. He is minus 250. Volkanovski plus 205 or plus 210 on the comeback. Worth noting that their first fight in February, Makachev entered the cage as a minus 350. So Volkanovski's performance in their first fight, as well as perhaps the win over Rodriguez, has bought him a little bit of goodwill from the betters. Keith, I'm going to flip this one to you first, but I, I want to ask you a, a, a question because obviously anytime we get a rematch that's immediate or near immediate between, especially between two great fighters, 
we know what the outcome of the first fight was. And so it's very easy to go, okay, who had more that they could go back to the drawing board and work on? Who had things that they can circle and say, if not for blank, the fight might have been different. Or in the case of Makachev, the fight might have been more unambiguously a win for me. Since, again, 20 or 25% of media viewers actually scored it for Volkanovsky, and I think one or two scored it a draw. Let me ask you this. You've probably... I mean, I know you watched their first fight because you and I talked about it right afterwards, and I imagine you've watched it more recently yeah. since. The... Yeah. Name me a big mistake either guy made in that fight. Um, Volkanovski's biggest mistake it, it was um, – well, that's a good – I wasn't prepared for that. That's a good question. I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to not go with a super obvious answer, you know, which is at one point he got his – back taken he's he's got a pop right to his feet like there was times where the he hit the ground and he was popping right back up and it, it, it was almost like the takedown from mark chef uh, was a negative that he took him down because he took him down and i got right back up he's got to treat it like the the floor is lava the u.s had all this energy and you can't hold me down you can't keep me down and there was times and i know it's so much easier said than done like, like, trust you know, me, I'm when wrestling. Islam, when Islam Makachev takes you down, you, you got to pop right back up, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I'm like, I'm like, if I was like, watching I'm like, oh, okay. Or why did I think of that? <laughs> you know. So, um, it it just it's 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 got to be more frantic. It's got to be, you know, he can't give an inch. Like there was one point where he, um, remember he he. I'm trying to remember because I I have also watched I I did watch the fight, but I also watched like. <laughs> a thousand of other fights of other people, a lot of like UFC newcomers, you know, to try to do the prelims. But he made a mistake. Remember, Makachev took his back when he made a mistake. I, I forgot what he did. He, he got lazy for a second. So that, that's just like he can't lose his concentration at any moment. And uh, Makachev, I really don't think he fought bad. Like, obviously, he won. I, you know, he got caught late. And I mean that's gonna happen. Um, I th I think he should have used his kicks more. He's got a really good kicking game. I mean he, he did kick a lot, but like pushing him back with the kicks and bullying him back to the fence with his kicks, and, and and taking cutting the cage off more on him. And he did that well, but like cutting the cage more so Volkanovski can't move i mother and more don't give him any time to really work at distance don't get, get in his groove because he's very he, he when when volkanovsky gets in his groove he's really hard to handle so those are probably the two things I'd, i i'd like to i wish i watched it right now and, and with that question in my mind i think i, I could have found something better okay well i i mean one of the reasons i asked was that i had a tough time finding uh, the worst mistake. I, I agree. Volkanovsky's <laughs> worst yeah. mistake was not having more of a sense of urgency to get back up in the fourth round when he was taken down. He spent most of that round with Makachev on his back. And even though he had a great fifth round and I mean, unquestionably won the fifth round, it put him in too deep of a hole. That's, you know, that, that was about it. He fought yeah, pretty, close to, pretty close to a perfect fight. Yeah. You, you he's, he's got a battle every minute of the round. Every minute of every round, of every, of every, he's got to have in his mind, I'm not going to give up a minute. Yeah. I'm going to win. Makachev has to be good. Volkanovsky has to be almost perfect. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good way to say it. All right. Tell me how you see this fight. You know, how you think it'll play out? Who wins? 
Yeah, I'm so freaking excited. What a good fight. Um, you know, Islam Makashev is, you know, a phenomenal fighter. Yeah. Southpaw, who is a very good athlete, doesn't get spoken about how well he moves. He moves well, fast hands, accurate, technically sound. He's he's constantly winning the outside leg battle where you know he's lining up his feet. I should say with foot, foot battle, where he's lining up his, his feet well. And he was even doing it against Volkanovski just because of who has great footwork, which is hard to do to line up his power shots. He's a pocket boxer who is really good in that mid-range. Sets up his shots with feints well. I mean, he blasted Charles Oliveira with a beautiful right hook. His feedback left hand is incredible. If you overextend, just he just he fades back just enough to come back in with that with that uh, left hand. Good kicks, lands kicks to all areas of the body. Uh, good inside, he gets in there. He will grind away. He's a master in there. You know, getting you know he's. It's his best position. Get to get Volkanovski's defense. Use that massive size advantage, the wrestling advantage. Wear on him. Um, some really strong, dirty boxing. Uh, very good wrestler, obviously. Upper body takedowns and good in. Well, you know, he also is good. Not just upper body, but just like a slide by. Uh, winning, winning like inches here and there. Great entries. Very similar to Habib, where he can. He doesn't. He doesn't explode through your hips. He just. Gets you in, gets you with a single or a double, and then he works an angle slowly. Doesn't rush anything. Chained wells together. Wind scrambles. And, and I just said it, but he was the grappling was very. You know, it seemed like it was very equal at times, but other than when he was dropped in the fifth, he was always in in the little control of winning the battles. He's got, you know, he's got long arms where he can just kind of grab a limb, um, which was so hard to defend him. His takedown defense is rock solid. Um, good control. Uh, I mean, Volkanovski got up a lot, but it took everything in him to get up there, you know, work back to his feet, and you're working on him. He suffocates his his opponents with just the pressure and the, and the mentality, you know, squeezes their cardio out of them good if he gets you down you know like i said with Volkanovski, he's gonna pop right up because if not he's gonna dispatch some hard grind and pound he battered bobby green he battered charles Oliveira from on top he's a slick grappler good back takes he's a legit legitimate submission threat i mean he subbed dan hooker he subbed um he didn't sub, he, he made tiago moises look like a bum and, and that's a good grappler he submitted charles Oliveira, who's the you know he's got the most submission wins in ufc history Alex Volkanovski, you know, short, compact fighter, the best footwork in MMA, constantly cutting the smallest little angles, great at changing up the angles, great at using lateral movement. He's so good at get, getting his opponents guessing when he's going to attack, his rhythm. He uses feints well. He, I mean, he uses his upper body, his shoulders, his, his, his hands, like uh, just really, really intelligent fighter. Uh, he sets traps and picks up his opponent's timing really well. You don't think of him as a pressure fighter, and I've said this before, and I, I want to use this knowledge again. He is—he's not the guy, you know, doing a hundred on the uh, on the freeway. He's the guy doing eighty. Where the the state trooper is is it's not catching his eye when they zoom by him, but you do eighty for a long time. You made some good miles, and and that's how he fights. 
he's good at landing a shot, slipping away from the counter, and landing back with a follow up. So he's really good at the one being one and three. Uh, he's fast. He's fast, especially in the division. Uh, he switches combos in mid combination, which you know I love. He did so well. Go back to like the Max Hollywood fight. I mean, one of all of them, but um, I believe it was the. I think it was the third. No, I think it was the first fight. The very first fight, he was grabbing the hand so well and using it. He kind of like like this like tug of war battle to get inside and land shots on the longer fighter. Uh, that's something he might be able to do a little bit with with Makashev. A great jab, so much variety in striking. He just always uh, throwing combinations, never attacking with the same combo. Getting his opponents guessing uh, works the body well. Underrated kicking and like thudding kicks. I mean. Uh, I think it was what the was it the third Holloway? I mean, I'm making all three of them, up, and I apologize. The third Holloway fight, we just beat him up with calf kicks. Um, I f- I feel like it's the third, but dude, they all run together. They for all me. run together. Yeah, the, the, I know the second one was the only one competitive. The, yeah. the, the third one was the least competitive one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, what I love about Max Holloway, absolutely. I mean, uh, Alex Volkanovski, particularly against Max Holloway, and he in he um and he's done it in other fights. He will like kick, and obviously he has those like calf kicks to do damage. But he'll kick to get a reaction, or or, or even to like he'll throw an inside kick to move his opponent into position to for him to hit, land his straight shot followed up. Like <laughs> to line up his punches, he lines up his punches with his with his kicking game uh, when he throws a combination. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, he he will throw these flip kicks out there just to kind of keep his opponents, you know, like he does this like I, I call them flip kicks. They're not like really deep kicks. Just kind of throw them out there to keep his opponents distance. Uh, we used to say the weakness about him was that he wasn't a power puncher, but then he he flattened Makachev, almost knocked him out. I mean, it was close. He hurt him. He had him. Hurt. He had him bad. Uh, he's a Underrated offensive wrestler, though I don't expect seeing his offensive wrestling in this fight. But he's, you know, he's a good wrestler, explode through your hips kind of guy. Freakishly strong, but he's 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 built like a fire engine, uh, oh, fire hydrant, I should say. Excuse me. Uh, he grabs a leg and you go for a ride. Despite getting taken down by a bigger and more technical guy like Makachev, I mean, he showed how hard it is to keep him down. Showed how good he is at scrambling. Uh, strong talk with yourself, good ground and pound. And he's so mentally strong. I mean, you saw positions where Makachev had his back and he didn't panic, found a way to get out, found a way to work back to his feet. As far as British, I know I've been talking a long time, but, like, I feel honored to watch this fight. Like, and I feel lucky because, to me, it's just a – such a fun time to to be alive, <laughs> you know. I might be I might be over exaggerating. Like I might, <laughs> you know, but to me, it's like two all time greats battling for a second time. It, to me, I don't know if we'll. Yeah, I don't know what the results will be, and obviously, it's it's it, it's hard to know how special something is until you, you or I'm trying to think like. There's moments in sports times where you don't realize how lucky you are until years later when it wasn't the same anymore. If that, does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. Like yeah. I think about um, – obviously, I'm from New England. I, I, I grew up in you – know, I've been I've for all the New England teams. And I remember in 04, 03, 04, 05, where the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry seemed – Bigger than it ever was. 
to be in that time, I didn't realize how special it was because I kind of felt like it was going to be that forever. And, and, and there was peaks and valleys of that rivalry. But to me, I don't remember, and, and I'm sure somebody could say Bucky Dent in the 70s or something like that, maybe. But to me, it was like, holy shit, it, how great was that like run? And I feel that way with this fight. Like It feels like it could be an Ali Frazier, a Sugar Ray Leonard, Robert Roberto Duran, because the I think of these guys that good, where they could go down as all time. I mean, Volkanovski to me already isn't all time. Volkanovski might be the one guy to challenge Demetrius Johnson as the most talented guy I've seen. Now, there's guys better, better resumes, GSP and John Jones, and us, but I mean, straight like eyeball test talent. It's like DJ and Volkanovski. Guys that they are great at everything and they're bad at almost nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Like just the perfect fighter. Mm -hmm. That said, I mean, my mind says Makashev. My heart says Volkanovski. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not rooting for him, so I don't mean it like that, but I mean it more in the, the intangibles that go along with the fight. Now, I picked Makashev last time, and, and I was right, and I scored it for him. He has the full camp. He's the bigger guy. He has the hometown. You know, Abu Dhabi obviously is 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 going to be pro Makashev. Yeah, he's younger, not slightly, but he's younger. A question we have to ask is: I don't know who the official judges are for this, but like, what judges are scoring this? You know, everything points to this fight to be easier for Makashev this time than the first time based on, you know, the full camp. But one thing I'll say about Volkanovski is that he's a master of game plans. I mean, he fought Makachev's game in that fight and still almost won. There's a lot of people who believe he won, mm -hmm. and people I respect who believe he won, where, you know, one round here was super close. I, I gave it to Makachev, but if not, I, th I think I scored three to two. You know, I think I, I don't remember the rounds in particular, but it was that close. There, there are certain men that are made to beat the odds. The guys that in the pressure moment, that's where they want to be. There's people who, who hide away from the pressure. There's, there's guys, ninth inning, two outs, David Ortiz, he wants to be up. Yeah. Tom Brady wants the ball in his hands. Michael Phelps, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, like these guys – I think Alec Vukonasi is in that category. He's oh. one of these guys where he's a guy that would take a fight against the seemingly impossible odds of an Islam Makashev and take it on 10 days' notice because, like, F you. I don't want to be else to have that category. I'm that guy. I love these odds. Like, I love being in this no-one-believes-in-me moment. I used to say that Randy Couture is my all-time favorite when I was a, like a fan of MMA and not doing the media side of it. Now, as a media member, I can't say I have favorites. So I won't say that I think Alex Mokonowski is my favorite fighter ever. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I think he does it. I'm going to say Mokonowski wins by split decision. And I love the breakdown there. Of the two of us, I picked Volkanovski <laughs> in the first fight. Yeah. And I, I said, 
I know what a big ask this is. He's taking on another of the three or four most dominant fighters in the sport who is going to look two weight classes bigger than him and is good at things that should make him struggle. I understood what a big task it was that Volkanovski had taken on himself. And what I said at the time was, you give me any coaching staff on the entire planet, any MMA coaching staff on the entire planet, give them four months to come up with the perfect strategy to beat fighter X, name that fighter. It would be hard to do any better than Eugene Behrman and Joe Lopez, the two that run Alexander Volkanovsky's training. And it would be hard to pick a fighter more likely to take their game plan and pursue it to perfection and at least give himself the best chance of winning that fight than Alexander Volkanovsky. Here, obviously Volkanovsky doesn't have four months to, to prepare for this. He has 10 days. But they don't have to go back and cover too much that they haven't covered. They scouted him exhaustively earlier this year. And unlike Volkanovsky, Makachev hasn't fought again since then. So they're in all the new tape. <laughs> Any new tape uh, that there is on Makachev, Volkanovsky was there for it. Stepping up on, on short notice, yeah, there's the question. He hadn't been preparing for a fight at all. But you know he's the kind of guy who's always in outstanding shape. He's a guy that cutting to 155 is presumably never much of an issue for him. So he's going to be close to his best self. Just as incredible as he is, he's human. And last time he fought an A fight, almost an A plus. Makachev fought an A minus fight, maybe a B plus, And it was enough for Makachev to come out ahead. Those things would need to change for Volkanovski to get it done this time. Their first fight is at least on the the fight of the year list. I think this one makes the fight of the year list as well. There's there's just no possibility this isn't a great fight. Even if Makachev comes out and just really dominates and shows that if not the better fighter, he's at least the combination of bigger and better that's going to be enough to beat Volkanovski nine times out of ten. Even if that happens... It's not like he's just going to run him over in the first round like he did, you know, like Bobby Green or something. Likewise, if Volkanovsky manages to do it and beat Makachev and instantly put himself on the Mount Rushmore of the greatest fighters in UF in MMA history, it's unlikely that it's just a round and a half washing. Whoever wins this is really, really going to have to put on the performance of his career to do it. Like Makachev's win over Volkanovski was the best fight of best performance of his career. And if Volkanovski gets it done here, even with all the things he's already done, it'll be the best performance of his career. I mean, what does that tell you, man? Whoever wins this fight between two of the five best fighters in the sport right now, it's probably going to be the, the best performance of their career. I picked Volkanovski last time. I was wrong narrowly. I'm going with him again, man. Wow. I think he was switching. I thought you no, were switching. I'm, I'm, right. I'm not. I'm not switching. Uh, I feel like in stick and ball sports, it's harder 
to beat the same opponent twice in rapid succession. It happens in college football all the time sure, yeah. where one team beats another team in conference play. They meet again two and a half months later yeah. in their, you know, conference playoff. And the team that lost knows exactly what they need to fix. And the team that won is just like, well, we got to do that again and hope it works out. Well, think about basketball playoffs. Yeah. A team will win by 30 points and two days later to lose by five. Yeah. And maybe they lose the next three by five each. Yeah. So, <laughs> taken as a whole, they outscored the other team. But they, yeah. no, in, in MMA, I feel it's usually different. Like barring something fluky, if one fighter beats another, it's easier for them to repeat. But here, I, I think we buck the trend. I think we see Volkanovski win by decision uh, in an all-time classic of a fight. And we have a new simultaneous two-division champ. And we almost certainly have a trilogy fight early next year. Yeah, I'll say this real quick. And I know we got to close up. But if if Volkanovski wins, you know, it'll probably be a close fight. If, and I, I obviously, if I think Makachev wins, it'll be a close fight. But if there's a blowout, it's probably Makachev. Like, you know, Volk to camp and everything. And... And, you know, he can't stop the wrestling or he gets hurt with a big shot. Yeah. But I wonder, you know, we've heard, you know, obviously I think generally speaking, having the camp is, is the advantage. But a lot of guys enjoy having the, the short camp and just, you know, just kind of knocking off some dust because they think that, you know, you don't suffer injuries. You're not grinding the mental battle of thinking about it for four months or whatever it is, you know, instead of 10 days and really you just kind of get to the weight cut and that's it. Um, I also wonder when they won their fights, I could see Makachev winning and now turning his focus to Charles Oliveira, to Justin Gaethje, to Matus Gamrat, to Connor, whoever. And obviously Volkanovski has fought since then. Yaya Rodriguez focused on him. But I still think there's a little bit of that, like, peeking over his shoulder, you know, the... Kind of like Rocky had the picture of Ivan Drago just stuck to the corner of it, his mirror. Yeah, and Makashev might not have. Like, he might have moved on. And and I don't want to say it's confidence booster or anything, because I don't think Volkanovski needs any more of confidence or, or, or either one of these guys, really. But there's that guy in the wrestling tournament that everyone's chasing, He's not focusing on the rest of the field like the rest of the guys are. No. He's not getting he's not filming the other guy wrestling with the other guys filming him and studying his moves and studying his setups and I'm so pumped for this fight, dude. <laughs> Same here. I the only hope I have is that the fight makes it to the cage intact and oh, that whoever wins it's because they were the better fighter. Like, yeah, we don't see this too. thing where Makachev passes out on the scale. And if the fight was in the U.S., it probably would have been like canceled or something. Like, I just want both these guys don't to fight as best things. they can. And who wins, wins. Yeah. Before, before we forget, uh, can I just say this? So we just talked for like over three hours. Yep. If you listen this far, can you at least give us a like? <laughs> like give, us, <laughs> give us like you know we'll have thousands of views on this, and 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 we'll have like one percent of likes. So uh, please do us a favor, at least hit like, get get these views up even higher. It really helps. It'll take you about one and a half seconds to do that. Uh, do the, at least do that for us. Maybe throw a comment in there too. Yeah, there you go. This has been the Sherdog sure Radio Network preview for UFC 294. Makachev versus Volkanovsky 2, which takes place 
this Saturday. Early in the day for you uh, North America, Western Hemisphere folks, it is, of course, at uh, Yaz Island, Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. I've been Ben Duffy. He has been Keith Schillen. If this is your first time watching or listening to one of our previews, thank you. Uh, this one ran a little longer than most just because there was so much to talk about. And we still managed to get sidetracked a few times. But please do like, subscribe, drop us a comment. Uh, Keith and I both man the comment section. We'd love to hear your take on these fights. But uh, join us for the recap. We are live on the SureDog YouTube page, usually about 15 minutes after the main event, sometimes only 10. We will talk about all 13 of these fights in reverse order, going from this all-timer of a headliner all the way down to the debut of Shara Bullet and the Curtain Jerker. We will talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something. We will talk about what's next for the notable winners as well as losers, and we will talk with you. The live chat on the YouTube page is open that whole time. So we are taking your questions, your comments, and your hot takes in real time. We have a growing community of friends that hang out with us after the fights, and we would love you to be part of it. Between now and then, enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for listening, and by all means, enjoy these fights. <laughs>